At the end of time. everybody what's going on it's wednesday night tom has his aggressive shirt on yeah yeah yeah. that's yeah. that's what he called it when this he first came and sat down i'm like are you gonna be back there like bitch, rubbing your nipples and yeah, stuff and distracting everyone from the show you yeah. know how you do this shit's fucking kind of low you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's trying to like back he's shit. trying to draw them all in like, yeah sure i know i mean that's how he's gonna be doing that yeah. behind me the whole show it's <laughs> no. gonna, and i'm gonna be like losing my place in the notes and be like what would you stop it <laughs> but you know so hey everybody it's wednesday night and you guys know what that means that means it's our main show uh this topic won handily in the poll as i suspected that it would i thought that a long time ago i had had um the matamoros cult in the running for you know topics and stuff but i don't know if we ever talked about it or you know it just got deleted from the list somehow but it's like i find it but somebody recommended a um you know a couple weeks back or something it's like you should do a show about uh, um adolfo constanzo and the matamoros cult or the narco satanists as they're sometimes called even though technically they're not satanists but we'll get into that there was this was happened during the late 80s so it was prime satanic panic time but uh, this is some um, messed up shit. Gonna be some sick shit. This is some messed up shit. Um, yeah. I'm just telling you right now, as you know, I'm sure people that are regulars of this show uh, are probably familiar with this and are probably familiar with it. I mean, this is one of the most messed up. This is one of the things, and I don't know if this was really the thing that made the satanic panic go crazy, because I think it had kind of been going on prior to this. But this case was kind of like the exception that proved the rule because you know how there was during the satanic panic there was all this thing about oh my god people are like sacrificing people to satan and you know for power but you know, for black magic and all this other kind of shit and largely that was not happening but in this case it did happen <laughs> yeah in mexico the shit was happening that's absolutely yeah. what was happening uh in in this particular case like i said um all of the victims and they don't know how many there were um, were Mexican, except for one very famous uh, American case whose name was Mark Kilroy. He was on America's Most Wanted and stuff like that. So we'll be talking about that also. And honestly, like him getting uh, kidnapped and horribly murdered um, was kind of the thing that brought the whole cult down. As far as we know, that they're not still out there because most of them are in prison or dead. But yeah, um, this is, uh, like I said, it's pretty messed up. And yeah. I watched like a whole bunch of different documentaries about this. Xanada sent me uh like a half hour long like interview with one of the cops who was actually i think he was from brownsville texas because they kind of work together because brownsville right is right on the border and um and he was like they interviewed him and it was like a really good interview like where he talked about all kind of stuff because he was there like when all a lot of stuff was happening like investigated and everything and they had um like police footage of the guy that went there when they found the bodies and all this other kind of shit so yeah xana said i know a lot about this case yeah so um so if I mess up any pronunciations or any facts or something like that, because I kind of went, it's it's a very involved case. Um, so I kind of tried to keep it 
but there's like a lot of other stuff like going on around you know and particularly with um the way that the cult might have had connections to like kind of higher up government officials like a dude that was like uh you know in interpol and stuff like that um which maybe helped them get away with shit well they know for sure that they had cop connections because there were a lot of corrupt cops going on and so it kind of made them seem like they were actually magical because they were working for the drug cartels and they were saying it's like hey um you know you better not do this on this particular day that's what the magic says but really they had like connections in the cops so they knew what was going on but it made them seem like a lot more powerful you know what i mean yeah. so there was a lot of that going on too. the illusion of power right uh, yeah, Xanada said Mexicans take witchcraft seriously. They, yeah, and yeah. you can, that will be very apparent as we talk about this yeah. case, very apparent. Central and South America are just, are very different from North America, mostly because of the religious traditions. Um, I partially grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil. My family was there for 12 years. I was there probably a total of maybe like four, and broken up uh, in a couple things. Because I, I went off and joined, came back to the United States and joined the army and stuff. Um, Central and South America, are, of course, are more Catholic, and the Catholic system has kind of an extended universe, expanded universe. That's a good way of putting yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, and in that expanded universe are like people's saints. You know, it'd be a good way, like a system of saints and angels and demons. All right. <clears throat> well. They're mostly kind of innocuous. It's kind of like poor people saints and stuff. Uh, other ones are like saints that criminals uh, fucking yeah. will have offerings to. And these tend to be kind of like satanic type stuff. What we would consider what demonic would consider or demonic. satanic. Sure. Yeah. When I was in Brazil, uh, you know, a lot of my working class friends, you know, who were like taxi cab drivers and just people that I knew, they were Catholic, but they would regularly go to fucking Macumba. Uh, rituals, you know, and I would go with them, and they weren't satanic. It was no. like an alternate church, an alternate f church where you could go and kind of like pay for help that the, the the official church wouldn't give you. You know what I mean? Like you could pay a priest, and he'd fucking do rituals and shit like that. And have girls fucking smoking, smoking and blowing smoke and dancing. Actually, kind of fun. You know, the rituals, they're not, it's not sinister or anything. You know, to, usually it's to help you with money. Yeah. It's usually with, and job, and to keep your boss from firing you. Shit like that. You yeah, know? just regular yeah. people yeah. concerns. Yeah, now, you got to pay the priest, you know, that's usually the offerings, you know, might be, you know, money usually is what it is. Then they might tell you that you had to put an offering out, you know, on the streets of fucking cigarettes and a, uh, a dead chicken you yeah know, it's usually a dead chicken uh, money <clears throat> some booze yeah booze that might movie. be a watch or something like that something for the spirits or whatever spirit it is you're dealing with and you gotta and then you leave it out on a busy street with candles burning and there in brazil has a lot of poor people in it and that bitch will sit there untouched they won't touch that shit because that was an offering yeah and they They're respect scared of that. that right <laughs> yeah so <clears throat> something like narco soldiers or people involved in heavy duty organized crime they gotta do hardcore shit to keep things together including commit murders because they're trying to seek protection yeah. from the law so they don't get right. caught right and they'll appeal to demons or whatever 
Mm-hmm. So you're going to have people try to make money and get power off that. Yep. And, you know, evil priests, basically. And they're out there. I think Mexico right now, their main one is the Santa Muerte. You know, the saint of death. Yeah. It's kind of like the Grim Reaper. And a lot of your narco agents are give offerings to that one. It sounds crazy in North America because, you know, for us, Christianity is mostly some kind of a Protestantism. You know, like I'm Southern Baptist by tradition, you know. And uh, we don't have systems of saints and things. We have some of our fucking weird rituals, you know, fucking uh, <laughs> dancing with snakes and drinking poison and shit, but all that stuff is kind of... That's pretty fringe. That's pretty fringe, but, you know, there, there, there is that kind of shit every now and then. But um, mm-hmm. Catholicism opens up opportunities for an extended universe or expanded universe in religion. So and it, it, it's very uh, useful. And, of course, Mexico is a synthesis of Catholicism and Mayan traditions, Aztec traditions and stuff. And if you really study the conquista, when Hernan Cortes and Spain, you know, they kind of merged, kind of took over and kind of merged with Mexico, the Spanish monks of the time noticed that Aztec religions and Mayan beliefs had a lot of crossover with Catholicism, that everything that the Mayans believed in, there was a Catholic analog. Yeah, pretty much. So it, it helped conversion to Catholicism because, uh, you know, the, the Mayans recognized it. And the Aztecs went, oh, yeah, yeah, we know what that is. So there, there isn't a big difference, really, between Yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole Catholic thing of yeah. appealing to saints for particular things, for mm-hmm. help with particular things, um, that was very familiar um, to indigenous people when you know the Spaniards yeah. came here so it may and you know all uh, the you know things like Santeria and the religion that we're talking about um, in this particular case which was uh, Palo Mayambe was um, and a kind of an African religion that got brought yeah. to the Caribbean through Cuba and stuff like that like with the slave trade and so a lot of the slaves didn't really find Catholicism that different so it was very easy for them to like be like hey yeah we totally converted to Catholicism but they were still like doing stuff with their yeah. with their um, traditional gods the one know? I used to go to was was Macumba also, there also Candomblé is like another word it was another division of it and it was it was African African yeah. Catholicism. Um, it was very cool. Kind of like something... At that time, you know, it'd be hard, it would be hard... It was hard for an American to see something like that. You had to have friends that would take you. And, you, you know, and I'd give money when I went to it. And it was in a dude's backyard. It was all enclosed, but it was very serious. Um, girls dancing. They're dressed in kind of like uh, a traditional garb from Bahia, which is kind of like white bonnets and big long skirts with and it's kind of the it's the way brazilian africans dressed and they're out there dancing and blowing smoke and stuff and they could be of any race they're just brazilians you know they don't have to be african but the the beliefs are african mixed with catholicism and other stuff uh but i thought it was great you know now some of the stuff that the narco agents are doing i'm just going to call them that because they come in a lot of different forms, you know. 
um, it's Catholic adjacent, but it's the dark side. They're dealing with demons. But the Mayans and the Aztecs dealt with demons. That was part of their religion. Um, the, the, the Spaniards called it like, it was human sacrifice, and they called it d demon worship. But that was just the, the, the Spanish concept of it. That was their view of it. The, the Mayans and the Aztecs didn't really worship demons and devils. What they did is they tried to bribe them off. They were scared of them. So they would try to pay off the devil to keep them away. Yeah, to keep them from fucking with them. Right. That's what they were doing. Right. Here, they, have some cigarettes and whiskey. Yeah. Please leave me alone. <laughs> and they would uh, provide human sacrifices, sacrifice of children, virgin, women, uh, old people, just anybody. Sometimes fully grown people, the, the best ones they could find, they'd, they'd sacrifice them. Maybe to ward off evil, pay off and bribe devils, or to bribe say like a rain goddess to make it rain you know so there wasn't any kind of like malice in the hearts of these people they actually believed these things and that they were trying to save themselves from disaster you know they uh, the uh, by all accounts the spanish monks that were doing the conversion were trying to save a lot of mayan literature and aztec religions and stuff for posterity because they said it was really well written but the Catholic Church fucking was, wasn't having any of it. They just considered everything to be devil worship, really. But the guys that were at on site kind of knew it for what it really was. They, they said that the uh, that the Aztecs were good people, you know. That it was just they were doing this out of religious piety. Well, when the narcos got involved in all this shit, of course, it's kind of like in their traditions now, like because sacrificing people. You know, and some of the sacrifices were pretty brutal uh, in, in Aztec times. Some of it involved just kings punishing people, cutting their fingertips off and shit like that, you know, cap uh, capturing enemies. And <clears throat> warfare for them wasn't killing enemies, it was capturing them. So you could sacrifice them upon top of a temple to repay the blood debt. And the blood debt had to be repaid so the sun would continue to rise and set, you know, every day. They... They're trying to keep the clockwork of the fucking universe running. It was a very and they apparently thing. really did believe that. Yeah. Well, and the thing about this particular cult, I do think it. I mean, it does seem from their actions that most of the followers did actually believe this. Yeah. Now, the head of the cult, who we're going to be talking about, Alfonso Costanzo, did he believe it entirely? I don't think so, but I don't know. There's a couple things that he did that made me think that maybe not, but he could, but I don't know. He could have been a believer as well because he was raised in the shit. So I'm not really sure, but a couple of his things that he did, like kind of made me think that he knew. And by the same token, seemingly Aztec and Mayan rulers in charge of their city states, they probably believed it in general, but they also used it as a tool of control and oppression. Because once you have the power to make people pay the blood debt by fucking sacrificing them, you can keep them in line. You say, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to sacrifice your daughter, make her pay the blood debt. So they were doing shit like that. They probably believed what they were doing worked, but they also used it as a tool. 
Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it because yeah. I think that's pretty much exactly what was going on here. Yeah. By all accounts, um, many of the people that were in this cult did believe that what they were doing was working because it did seem to work, but I think there were other reasons that it was working, not yeah. because of the magic, but they really did seem to believe it. Whether he believed it or not, I'm not entirely certain. I think he believed it to an extent, but I don't know if he had as much faith in it as the followers did. A lot of Mayan and Aztec sacrifice, human sacrifice, really, if you got, when you really look down to the base of the root cause of it is because they didn't know why crops failed. They knew if it didn't rain, the crops would fail. But they couldn't understand why crops were failing because they didn't understand about fertilization at the time. And they would deplete the soil around the city. <clears throat> so they couldn't feed everybody because each yield would get worse. So they would sacrifice people. They couldn't feed them anyway. Tried, trying to make the population fit the food supply they had. They thought, well, maybe God wants us to get rid of all these many people because we're in debt to him. And if we get rid of this many people, we'll be able to eat. You know, It was just the way they rationalized things. They didn't know about fertilization. That would have prevented a lot of it. But if you were to probably explain that to an Aztec or a Mayan of the time, the concept of fertilization probably would have blown their mind. They probably wouldn't have believed it. They'd have been, hell, what the fuck are you talking about? All these people being born, every time somebody's born, it takes blood from God. They're giving us the blood, so we, no, we're sapping God of the blood that he needs. We gotta give it back. We're in debt. That's what they're doing. So it'd be real hard to, if you're born with those belief system, it'd be real hard to reason with them. Uh, but it's fascinating. It's just part of the thing of fucking Mesoamerica and Central and South America. They, mostly Central America, they've, in some, there's something in the indigenous people where this is kind of a traditional thinking for them. You know, I mean, Catholicism fucking goes right along with it. It played right into it. Yeah, Xanada said you guys did a show on Santa Muerte. I thought we had. I knew there was. I knew we had done something similar to this. Yeah, we did do a show on Santa Muerte. But this guy's shit was even darker than that. Yeah, this yeah. is way, way worse than Santa Muerte shit. This is way worse. Ooh, I got way behind. Okay. Um, yeah, Case and Lee said Aztecs were trying to stop the end of the world by sacrificing humans by the hundreds, right? Yeah, yeah well, the pretty much, long yeah. count was part of the problem, too, yeah. The long count yeah, Xanada said, I feel like Constanzo was way more into the sacrifice and religious aspect than he was into selling drugs. Yeah, because it almost seemed like the whole drug thing was just like a sideline. He wasn't even into drugs, and there was a thing in his cult where if you got caught doing drugs, he would fuck you up. Like, because he actually killed some of his own followers for, do, like, being caught doing that. He was just very, they were just selling it, I guess, like, to make money or whatever. So you know what I mean? Yeah, and Xana said, from what I remember, cartels came to him for protection. Yeah, they did. That's how he made a lot of his money, which we'll get into in a bit. Yeah, so that's why. And the thing about it is that, and this is kind of true all over the world, but people that are engaged in very, very risky professions, whether they're illegal or not, tend to be more superstitious because their lives are more uncertain. So they want something that gives them some certainty. So if you are in a drug cartel and you are afraid you're going to get shot up or captured or whatever, like at any moment, then that that's kind of a very uncertain existence. So it stands to reason that those people would be largely very, very superstitious and are kind of looking for anything that's going to give them a leg up, even if it's just, you know, even if it's just to us seems like magic bullshit, but they really, really do believe it though. 
Um, let's see. Yeah, astrology. Yeah, because Eric Lynn said they knew a lot of astrology. Used that as a tool, I think, the Aztecs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so... Let me see. Okay. All right. So do you want to kind of get into this? And Let's you can and you can kind of throw in your yeah. your two cents, yeah. like, whenever we get into this. Like I said, yeah. this cult, once it was discovered, I feel like it wasn't really discovered by the world at large until 1989, which is when uh, the Mark Kilroy case happened. Um, but they had been doing this for several years prior. It was just kind of more on the down low. So... When the story came out, the you know the media had a fucking field day with it because, like I said, this was the late '80s and they were still all about satanic panic. So they were just kind of like, there's you know the narco satanists, the this, that, and the other thing. Which, like I said, they're not uh, technically they're not satanists, but it was kind of a similar thing. So I could see why they said that. But they did kind of like blow the shit. Well, I don't want to say they blew the shit out of proportion because it was bad enough as it was. But it's like they speculated about a lot of stuff that they didn't really know about. So there's that. And I kind of feel like too. Because the religions of Santeria, Palo uh, Mayombe, Mayombe, and stuff like that are not that familiar to Americans, um, particularly back then, they would have seen it as Satanism because they didn't understand it, I suppose. But there are lots of people that practice those religions that don't do this shit. This was just a, a super outlier, you know what I mean? Now, as far as they Outliers know... Outliers still exist, and we're going to talk about them. Well, you know, like I said... <laughs> you any, have to know the spectrum. Any religion yeah. can be taken to its logical extreme. And, um, that happens quite often. And it happens quite often. Like, yeah. But it's usually like a fringe that's doing that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, Jim most, Jones type shit. Right, most of the people that follow particular religions are completely you know, harmless yeah. and stuff. Like I said, I don't really truck with religions. I don't see the point of them. But... A lot of people, most people that follow them, it's just like nothing. But some people, like these people, um, kind of take the shit and uh, go crazy with it. Let's let's call it that. Now, they're not entirely sure, like I said, how many people this cult killed. Wikipedia says the official, the confirmed number is 15, but many more suspected. I've also seen 16 confirmed. I've seen 17 confirmed. And some people think like it's dozens more that they're not, that they can't really prove. You know what I mean? I would suspect it's a lot more considering what their, um, what their um, methods were. Uh, I bet there was a lot of people that they killed that they didn't know about, which like I said, I'll get into in a little bit. So let's kind of talk about the leader of this cult as it would become. Adolfo... De Jesus Constanzo. De Jesus. Yeah. Now I think on the on the teaser picture, I think I put Alfonso instead of Adolfo. I don't know why yeah. I put that, but I fixed it on the other thing. But I was just kind of because I looked at my YouTube thing and I was like, oh shit, I put Alfonso on that. I had to change it like right before the show because I don't know what I was thinking. But his name's Adolfo, like Adolf. You know what I mean? Now he was actually born in Miami, so he was born in 1962. Florida now, he, man. Yeah, he's a Florida man. Which that that totally Florida man that totally tracks. satanic cult Mexico See, right. kills fourteen, fifteen, <laughs> 15. Well, and probably yeah. more like fifty many more. something, yeah, yeah. probably Florida man or more. Yeah, it's Florida man. Now his mom, whose name was Delia, um, she was actually a Cuban immigrant, Cuban Cuban refugee. Now she had Adolfo when she was only fifteen years old. 
Now, she would eventually end up having three kids, all of them by different fathers. I believe two of her husbands died, which I don't know if that's suspicious or not, but like we'll get into that. Now, after her first husband died, she moved to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, and then got remarried, like met someone else and remarried there. Now, Delia, the mom, and Adolfo's grandmother were both Santeria priestesses. Now, Adolfo was actually baptized Catholic um, and, you know, was even an altar boy and everything like that. But just like we were saying, Catholicism has this whole extended universe. So even though he was baptized as a Catholic, he would also go with his mom on trips to Haiti and learn about voodoo. Now, according to some sources that I found, Adolfo's mother took him to like a Haitian priest, like when he was still a baby, pretty much. And this priest allegedly said that this kid is a chosen one and he's going to do great things. And I was just kind of like, depends on your definition of great, I guess, but okay. He was a great monster, I suppose. So as we were talking about before, Santeria, much like voodoo, is, you know, a religion that came from Africa with the slave trade and kind of blends Catholicism in with African, what, what you want to call like folk Voodoo. religion. Yeah, essentially. Voodoo. Um, all of them are different, but they're similar. You know what I mean? So as we mentioned, like there'll be different deities that you ask for particular things and, or, you know, if they're bad deities that'll fuck you up, you give them things to kind of stave them off. That That's another kind of thing. Usually it's food or booze or cigarettes. That's another big one. Or, you know, a ritual sacrifice, but it's almost always an animal, usually yeah, a chicken. chicken. Usually Something a that chicken. a priest can eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because they eat the sacrifices, but they're not going to say that. But a lot of times they do. Well, yeah. I mean, don't waste it. It's meat. Yeah. But, you know. So they actually moved back to, you know, Constanzo and his family actually moved back to Miami in 1972 because his dad was uh, sick at this point and he moved back to get treatment. But his stepdad died not too long after that. Now, his stepdad at this point was kind of, he wasn't wealthy, but he was like, Okay, like he was comfortable, I guess, if you want to put it that way. So when he died, he left the family some money. So they were kind of like now in the middle class. Now, when Adolfo was a teenager, he was kind of, because um, his mom was real into Santeria and everything, like, so he was raised in that belief system. So when he was a teenager, he got apprenticed out to like a priest, a sorcerer type thing. And at this point, he started practicing uh, Palo Mayombe which is, again, kind of similar religion to Santeria, um, you know, and involves animal sacrifice and making offerings to gods and things like that. Now, Delia, his mom, she remarried, you know, yet again at this point, and the new stepdad was uh, real into uh, Palo Mayambe and also was a drug dealer. So there was that. Now, one big thing, and this will... Um, factor largely into the story going forward one of the big things in Palo Mayombe you make offerings to the gods in this pot it's a cauldron like which is a ceremonial cauldron and this is called an inganga now in this you put <coughs> anything that's like consecrated like bones or sticks or body parts or anything like that they usually will put animal stuff in there um, but there's also kind of a tradition of like grave robbing, like digging up old bones from cemeteries and stuff. 
and putting them in there like that. The thing about the Nganga is that it's almost treated as though, and I think it's perceived by believers, as almost a living entity. So, like, whatever you put in there um, kind of either strengthens it or makes it smarter or whatever. Like, it's like it's the god itself, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, for example, if you were like, oh, well, I'm doing a spell where I need strength or I feel like my Nganga needs strength then you would, if you were on the bad side of this belief system, then you would go kill, like, a strong person and, like, put his muscles in there. Like, that kind of shit. You know what I mean? Or it's just like, oh, well, I want something to do with, like, youth, or I want youth, then they'll kill a kid and put this, put his shit in there. You know what I mean? So it's that kind of stuff. But it's kind of considered, like, a living being, sort of, and you feed it, like, whatever you think it needs at any particular time. Which, like I said, this is going to come back later on because... Yeah, a lot of a lot of problems arose because of this kind of thing. This this pot. Now, so in Miami, while they were in Miami in the seventies, the neighbors of the family um, would kind of notice stuff like dead animals being left on their doorsteps and stuff like that. Like if you know, if if they had like any kind of dispute, any kind of beef with the Constanzo family, suddenly you have all these dead animals like showing up at your fucking on your fucking doorstep, you know what I mean? Because they were putting curses on people, essentially, is what they were doing. Now, his mom, she later got arrested for many things, but she, one of the things she was arrested for was she had, like, 27 animals in her house. They said they went in the house, and there was just, like, shit and blood, like, all over the fucking place. She wasn't much of a housekeeper, is what I'm saying. Which is kind of interesting, because Adolfo, they always said, like, even from, like, a really young child, he was almost, like, a super neat freak. Like, almost, like, OCD level. Mm. Like, he was always, like, super clean and everything. And I wonder... I don't know, though. It's, like... Because I kind of thought that was maybe a reaction to, like, growing up in, like, filth and, like, just houses that were had blood and feces all over the fucking walls. But they said he was kind of like that when he was little, too. So I'm not really sure. Um, now, his mom and... Adolfo were also arrested like later on a bunch of times for stealing stuff, vandalism, shoplifting, that kind of thing. Now, according to his mom, Delia, uh, supposedly his psychic powers were supposedly getting better and better around this time too. Some of the things that he supposedly predicted, he supposedly predicted um, that Ronald Reagan would get shot, but that he would survive, which happened in 1980, obviously. Um, he also allegedly predicted that big um, earthquake that happened in Mexico City in 1985. Um, you know, but like I said, people are talking about that after the fact, so I'm kind of assuming that yeah, that's probably you bullshit. Can that you can yeah. just, yeah, I totally predicted that. Yeah, you can't prove that he said that before. Right, that. that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like he wrote it down and put an envelope and mailed it to right. it. It's like it was in a safety the deposit box Karnak or shit. some shit like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just, oh, but yeah, he totally predicted that. I was the only person there, but he told me that that was totally Sounds like what is called an apocryphal tale. It does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does. Uh, also, he could, again, allegedly, astral project okay. and could heal sick people. So, right. you know. Now, because Constanzo was, you know, fairly good looking dude, um, he actually worked as a model for a little while. And it's not like he wasn't like a big deal or anything like that, but he did get some modeling work. There were, are some, a couple of pictures of him around. How old was he during this time? Um, he was like late teens. Okay, yeah. I believe. Um, so did I. Yeah, <laughs> I was a model in Brazil. 
Did, you, did I tell you about that? No, you didn't tell me. No, you I did a commercial. You never told me that? Two ice cream commercials. You never told me that ever. You did it? How yeah, could you not tell me that? Because it was just normal shit that I did. I had two ice cream commercials. Called Man, I'm from, finding out all kind of shit. There's all yeah, kind of shit that you, Brazil. you never told me. It was called Keybone Ice Cream. You never told me that. Yeah, either. I chased the girl. Chased the girl I went to school with down the fucking. We, we we did the shit at graded, at graded high school, where we went international high school. I chased a Brazilian model down the damn high school when everybody else was in class, but they're filming it, and and gave her an ice cream. That's basically it. I said something. He's like, here, I'm not stalking you. I'm just yeah, giving yeah, you ice cream, I promise. Her and her I'm not going to kill you. It's fine. Yeah, it was like a fucking, <laughs> it's like a four-second commercial. Oh, my God. I wonder if we could find that somewhere. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> Keep on ice cream commercial. Oh, my God. Somebody like somebody fucking, go look on YouTube and find like that shit. Look on the Wayback Machine. 1986. All right. I'm going to look for that. I can't believe you never told me that. 86 or 87. I can't believe you never told me that. Yeah. See, I'm always finding out like new yeah. facts. It, did, it had two different edits Fascinating new facts. It was one commercial, but they had two different edits of it. Oh, okay. I'm going to find that shit. I was, I was pretty as fuck. <laughs> Somebody's got to have that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll find it. Um, but yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> So yeah, so he did some modeling work. Like I said, it wasn't a huge deal or anything like that. But um, but he moved to Mexico City in 1984. They may have not have used it though. Yeah, maybe not. Because I don't ever remember seeing it. Oh, you never saw? Oh, okay. Never saw you it just remember? But I didn't watch television. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'll I'll see if it's around. I saw the final just, cut. Just spell the ice cream. They showed me. They showed me. They showed me the final it. cut. They recruited me from the drama program at at, grade, at graded school. Right. And I had to do some voiceover work from them. But when I was doing the voiceover work, I had to translate some of their other commercials into English an English dub they were taking that to Europe though okay and they showed me the edit of the little thing like I said just spell the ice cream brand for me and I'll keep on uh, K-I-B-O-N K-I-B-O oh okay easy I think it was just like it's just like I think it was K-I it might have been Q-U-E B-O-N that's see that's what I was thinking I was thinking yeah it might have been keep on I was thinking probably Q-U-E B-O-N but yeah so uh so yeah so he moves to Mexico City in 1984 now, while he's there, he starts doing, like, essentially becoming a dude that sells spells and, like, magical cleansings and stuff like that to people. Now, he actually got in, eventually, with selling these spells to kind of people that were up in, you know, the elite. Now, I don't know if this was the first thing. I think this was the first thing that got him into it. But he was approached by a guy, I can't remember what his name was, but he was like a like a pretty popular singer, like a pop star. And his career was a little bit on the decline, right? And he was kind of looking to revive his career, so he came to him, you know, to do some spells to like help him out or whatever. And the guy, and uh, Adolfo says, hey, I'll help you out for free if you introduce me to a bunch of celebrities. So apparently that happened... So he eventually got in with, so he got connections at that point with like, you know, famous like actors and shit like that and started doing stuff for them. And then that kind of extended to other elite people like politicians and whatever. So people started coming to him and it seems like, and like I said, I'm not entirely sure like how this happened, but it does seem like a lot of the spells he did worked or people perceived that they worked. So he started getting like a reputation. It was like, oh, this shit is like. He, he's really like the real thing you know what i mean like his shit really works so he kind of his name started getting around so he did kind of have that now after that like when his name started getting around as we mentioned before 
people who are in criminal enterprises tend to be more superstitious than maybe your run-of-the-mill person. And particularly members of drug cartels uh, were very superstitious and were always, like, looking for something that would protect them from the police or, like, keep them from getting caught. So as Adolfo's name was getting around, he started getting approached by members of drug cartels who were seeking his spells, like, for protection against the police. They, they wanted to be bulletproof and all this other kind of crap. And I think that the Haitian priest that had, you know, told him he was going to be a chosen one or whatever, I think he also did that too. Like, he also... So I think there was, like, a connection there as well. So the rituals, you know, always... Uh, they always had animal sacrifices, right? But the price had to do with what kind of animal was sacrificed, which I guess makes sense, right? You get, like, chickens, which is kind of your run-of-the-mill thing because, you know, it's chickens everywhere. Um, you know, then you'd kind of go up to goats, then maybe, like, a boa constrictor, which was significantly more expensive. Then he was even sacrificing kind of more exotic animals, like zebras and shit. Damn. I don't know where the fuck he was getting those. And he even did, like, lion cubs, which I think was the most expensive. He didn't do a full... He didn't do a full-size lion because because that would be really stupid. Yeah, yeah it's just kind of like this, those are exotic animals, man. Yeah, I don't know where he was getting from. He was getting from somewhere, but they were dealers. super super expensive. Drug man. dealers. Yeah, we got them here. Got them here. Got them up the street here. We do. Yeah. Got a guy down there that's fucking breeding breeding lions and uh, giraffes and zebras, but he's the international sellers. You can't see it. He's got a huge fucking wall around it. Yeah. Well, he doesn't want. My them. mom knows him though. She dealt with him a long time ago, did business with him. He's a nice guy. He was in some kind of Tarzan movie. I think he played a Tarzan. Oh, okay. It's one of the Tarzans. One of the Tarzanes. He's an old man now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they would be. Yeah. But yeah, so as he got up in the cartels and everything, like I said, he also got in with um, a bunch of corrupt cops, which is Mr. 88 said before, what do you call a corrupt Mexican cop? A cop. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, pretty much. So, um... You know, that's not entirely the case because one of them that came in, like, afterward that, you know, that after Constanza was doing all this crap, like, did actually want to crack down on them. But for a long time, they got away with a bunch of shit because he had police connections. You know what I mean? So that's why. And a lot of the police were helping the drug cartels, too, like, because I'm sure they were cutting them off all a, a piece of the money. Now, this particular cult, probably in with the, the Gulf cartel, uh, m maybe among others, not really sure. But yeah, he kind of knew everybody. And like I said, he had a reputation for being good at what he did, which was ritual sacrifices that would get you like magic shit that you wanted. And I guess people were happy with his services because he was he became like quite wealthy from it. Now, another thing about Constanzo, uh, and I think that Zanada <laughs> might have brought this up early earlier that he was uh this guy was the definition of sexually ambiguous yeah um this dude was it's weird because like a lot of the documentaries and stuff called him gay um i think that he was bisexual and he was kind of like the very definition of bisexual he did seem to have more quote you unquote, some shit and he became sexual well, no, I'm, what I was saying is that he did seem to have more meaningful relationships or long-term relationships with men, but not necessarily. Um, you know, he did have, like, a lot of relationships with women, too, so I think he was almost kind of, like, like completely bisexual. It this must like. have been where they got the inspiration for the character out of fucking Confessions of a Trick Baby Part 2. Remember that movie that we saw? Yeah. In, in that case, he was transsexual doing all this. Right. But it sounds like this is where they got the idea. Maybe. 
Um, there was, he was actually a bunch of people too. There actually was a movie made loosely based on this. I think it's called Borderland. It's a horror movie, obviously. <laughs> so how could it be anything else? Uh, I think it came out in two thousand seven. I've seen it, but it was a long time ago. Put some ice in it. Yeah, it's all melted. Um, yeah. So, like I said, it does seem like most of his long-term lovers were men, but he did have, um, you know, Sarah Aldrete, who we'll talk about in a bit, uh, who seemed to be with him for a long time, who he seemed to have some fondness for. I'm not really sure what that relationship was like. Um, also, I should note that he had uh, at least, well, several relationships with women because they, as far as they know, he fathered at least two children with two different women and possibly more. Now, I think that the first one of those, if I'm not mistaken, happened when he was a teenager. I think he was only 14 and I think he impregnated his 13-year-old girlfriend and they had a baby. And then I think like later on in his teenage years, I think he knocked up another girl. Like I said, I don't think that he had any contact with those kids going forward, but he did have sexual relationships with women and it did father at least two as far as I know, but it could be like more than that. I don't think the kids ever factored into his life in any great way. Now, so he starts, um, several of the male lovers that he recruited at first like that were kind of in on the ground floor of the cult if you want to call it that um and they also kind of helped him out with his spell casting business uh these three guys were named martin quintana jorge montez and omar orea now over time these three and eventually everybody in this cult would start referring to constanzo as el padrino padrino the godfather that's what they started calling him so at this stage, Adolfo, he's getting kind of wealthy. He's getting a reputation and he's getting a little big for his bridges. Let's call it that. So because he started to think that his spells were responsible for, you know, the big cartels success, he's like, you, you know, my spells are the reasons you guys didn't get caught and you're making all this money and blah, blah, blah. So one of the things he decided that he was going to do because he wanted to make some more money. Because he was making a lot of money, but not as much as the cartels. He's like, I want to make the cartel fucking money, right? So he goes to one of the most powerful families that he was acquainted with that had come to him, who were called the Calzadas. Now, probably stupidly, he pretty much just goes right to their compound or whatever and essentially demands 50% of their shit. Or... I'm not, or I'm going to like curse you or blah, blah, blah. Send it to a cartel. Yeah. <laughs> he's got some serious balls on him. Yeah. Or he, or he's real stupid. I mean, yeah. it could be, but it could be, Probably both might be both. And I mean, he's real young. I mean, you have to think this dude, spoiler alert, when he died, he was, I believe 26 years old. Dude. So all of this stuff is happening when he's like in his early twenties, when <clears throat> everyone is an idiot. You know what I mean? <clears throat> he might've been a good judge of character. He looked at the head of the little cartel and he went, oh, this fucker's a, he's, you know, he's a sucker. Maybe, you know what I mean? It could be. He's but scared. It, he might have sensed fear in him. He went, okay, I got him. You know. Yeah, Xanada said, the documentary I sent Jenny literally showed them digging up the bodies. It was disgusting. Yeah, it was pretty gross. Um, like, it's not, I don't know, it was pretty gross. I, I could watch it, but it, it was pretty gross. So, it's you know, if you're sensitive to, like, seeing actual bodies being dug up and actual shit, they were digging it up with the, what do you call that thing? The thing that digs up dirt? The thing that digs dirt. The Steam thing, shovel. 
Well, bulldozer. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That, that was the word I was trying to think okay, of. Yeah. I know that word. I just couldn't think right, of. Yeah. You know, I was like, you know, the the dirt, the dirt diggy, the thing. dirt thing, the dirt diggy thing. Yeah, sucks getting old. I'm telling you, <laughs> my brain's getting like Swiss cheese. I can't remember words anymore. But yeah, so he just basically marches in there and says, "I want half your money." Like, I want to be a. He wanted to be like a full business partner. He's like, "Cause I, I, you know, my spells helped you out with your shit, and like you didn't get caught, and you're making all this money. I want you to cut me off a piece of that, but half of it." So um, the Calzadas are like, <laughs> no. And um, worse than that, one of the bodyguards, I think, like as he was leaving the compound, like laughed at him. You know what I mean? <laughs> so at this point, uh, Adolfo is just kind of like, yeah, no, that's not going to stand. So guess what happened? Not too long after this, seven members of the family, or seven members of the compound, because some of them weren't related, some of them were employees, mysteriously disappeared hmm i wonder where they could have gone later on uh their bodies were found i believe they were dredged out of a river and they had clearly been uh tortured they had their fingers and toes missing their ears were missing uh their genitals had been cut off uh, a couple of their brains were missing one of the bodies even had the spine removed Apparently, um, the young girl, she was, a, she was a maid of the family, and she was like a teenager. She had her heart cut out. Now, it turned out later, reportedly, like after they caught him and all this stif- stuff came out, that what had happened was that he had lured the members of the family to this location by saying, man, I feel really bad about coming to your place and getting in this big fight with you because I was wanting half your money. Like, I must have been possessed by a demon and I maybe infected you guys with this demon and I will give you a free cleansing to show how sorry I am, right? (laughs) So all of them were like, okay, sounds legit. (laughs) And they went to this place. I mean, they- Let me kill you. They were suspicious. Um, but evidently what happened, like they get there, you know, they brought bodyguards and everything. They get there and they have the room like all set up. Like it was going to be a cleansing room. There's candles and all kind of shit. Like it, like it was supposed to look. So he comes in there and Costanzo's all apologetic and man, I'm so sorry. I must have been possessed or whatever. And then one of his henchmen comes in and just fucking blows them all away. Damn. So that's apparently what happened. And then so, they and then they mutilated them and dumped okay, them in the fucking so river. All, so all the torture stuff was done post-mortem. As far as I know, okay. um, like I said, a lot of this, a lot of the shit that came out about it is just from various cult members that admitted shit to police. Yeah. So I don't know how accurate a lot of it is because they didn't find out about this stuff until afterward, until like after 1989. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they could be making shit up or not remembering shit right or whatever. Because no one was there that... You know, and Constanzo is dead. So, and he would have probably never confessed anyways. So, yeah, so everybody got blown away and then they all got cut up and stuff. I don't know, like I said, I don't know if he tied them up and tortured them first because, oh, that'll come later. Just wait. Now, also around this time, um, possibly because, now he had killed all the members of this powerful cartel family, the Calzadas. Now, one family that he did kind of know of, who were kind of smaller time drug dealers, but he kind of wanted to get in, he wanted to get in with a big cartel family so we could make more money, right? That's what he was trying to do. So to that end, he starts, he takes up with this college student by the name of Sarah Aldrete. Now she was a very tall girl. She was six foot one. She was very striking, uh, quite, a, quite a good looking woman. 
Now, eventually, over time, uh, she would become his second in command. Uh, she would eventually be known as La Madrina, the godmother. Now, Sarah was born in 1964. She grew up in a regular, normal-ass, middle-class family in Matamoros uh, in Mexico, which is right, right near the border of, with Texas. Um, and she actually went to high school and college in Brownsville, Texas, right across the bridge. Now, when she was a college student, everybody said she was a delightful, delightful person. Straight-A student. She was a cheerleader. Um, but on the other side of that, she was also super interested in the occult. And because of um, some like uh, family connection through somebody she dated in school, um, she kind of knew a lot about drug cartels. The weird thing about it is that she seemed to have been completely living a double life. Like when she was in Texas, like in college and stuff, she was just like straight A cheerleader college student. But when she would go over the border to Mexico, it was all about occult and drug dealing. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's and, not that uncommon. And people didn't know. Like, people didn't seem to know. That's not that uncommon. Yeah, there I guess rings not. of female assassins, Mexican cartel assassins. They're female. And they have weird initiation rites where they're necrophilia, where they have sex with the dead victims and all kinds of weird shit. Bathing in blood. Countess Bathory shit. And they're young. Late teens, early 20s. Evidently hotties, too. I don't know if they all survived, the ones I was thinking of. Somebody might be able to drop in the comment section what ring, ring of girls I was talking I think there was like four or five of them. And I think they were all killed eventually by the Mexican army, but they killed fucking dozens and dozens of other cartel members and stuff. They were assassins. Because who who's going to suspect, you know, hot chick of being an assassin, you know? Yeah, I mean... They try to pick these dudes up, and then they it's, fucking it's bring them into a kill zone and fucking murder them. It's unusual, and they were like, to, sure. to initiate the new girls, they had to have sex with the dude that they killed. After he was dead. In a bathtub. Because then they'd have something to hold over. Yeah, you, there's some... Well... And, you know... They were witches. Yeah. You know. Well, that's kind of what this chick was, too. Yeah. And like I said... I mean, we'll get into talking about her in a bit, but... um, She was by all accounts um was interested in the occult before she hooked up with this dude um she tried to say later that you know he forced her and blah -de blah i don't think that's the case i don't think that's the case i think she loved this shit she seemed to um case and lee says you guys watch the documentary series terror in the jungle it's a mind-blowing documentary on jonestown suicides Ooh, i don't think i've seen that yet We've I've seen, seen a lot of documentaries i've seen a lot of documentaries about that though like one of the worst ones that i saw was almost all footage that they took what the fuck was that called i can't remember what it was i think i think pretty good i saw it in a theater yeah. like a long time that was one of the most depressing fucking things yeah I've it's old seen. yeah it's old yeah i saw it back in the early 2000s or mid 2000s or something like that like at an indie theater but yeah so here's this chick right now how okay so how this all came about like i said um constanzo was trying to get in with a cartel family and one of the cartel families that he kind of had connections with that weren't huge but they were still you know small-time drug dealers were the hernandez family now what happened was that sarah aldrete she went to college with a guy named seraphine hernandez garcia and his uncle like she dated his uncle whose name was elio hernandez rivera and they were 
marijuana smugglers. Um, you know, like a ton per week is what they uh, estimate. That's so not, I mean, not huge, yeah. big time, but like you know, kind of on the on the middle scale of like drug dealers, right? Yeah. So she was dating this guy that was kind of like a mid tier drug dealer. Now, this whole family enterprise, the head of it at this time, um, in the mid eighties was Saul Hernandez Rivera, who was Elio's older brother. So Elio was the one that was dating Sarah Aldrete. Now he got assassinated in 1987. And then at that point, there was all kind of like the family was all fighting and everything like, cause they were all like jockeying for position, right? But Elio actually turned out to be the new head of the firm of the establishment or whatever. And he went to Constanzo to get spells and stuff like that for, you know, for protection and power and stuff like that. So Sarah apparently was also there like his, at his initiation ceremony. Now, as time went on, all of the members of the Hernandez family slash drug dealing gang cartel, they started kind of getting more under the power of Constanzo and his cult beliefs. Um, you know, because he would do sacrifices for them, like ritual animal sacrifices, and it would appear to work. Like they just kept getting away with shit and they didn't get caught. And they just were really thinking that he was the man, you know what I mean? So like, as the longer that went on, like the more he was, the more power he was able to have over them. And they actually absolutely believed that he had magic powers. I mean, it really does seem like they really did believe that. The thing about Sarah Aldrete that's kind of interesting. Um, later on, like after this whole cult was exposed, they thought that maybe because she was so striking, she was so tall and she was very pretty, um, that she was probably used to lure more people into the cult. Um, Love bombing. Right. Yeah. They think that maybe that was one of her main roles. Um, she did allegedly, uh, participate in some of the stuff, but I don't know how but she knew what was going on for sure. Even though later she said she didn't, I don't know how hands on she was with some of the shit that was going on later, but she for sure knew what was going on. Even though later she said she didn't know anything about it. Hmm. Like one of the things she would do. And I thought this was kind of interesting because we've reviewed this movie. So apparently her favorite movie in the fucking world was the believers that 1987 movie with Martin Sheen in it. Which one was that? That was the one about the Santeria. I think it was Santeria cult in New York City, and like all those people were turning up dead. Like we reviewed it not too. It's a good yeah, movie. I, I think really I like it. That one. She loved that movie, and yeah. she kind of seems to have used it as a recruiting tool. Like apparent, and people that she would bring into the fold, like they would watch it like over and over and over, almost like she was trying to like convert them, like yeah. by showing them this movie. Even though the movie was like fairly accurate in some ways but you know it was kind of overstated yeah, well, in other ways but to see that because she's showing these new people that what they're doing is fucking known about and elevated by hollywood production yeah so she's you know it is glamorizing it yeah i think she's that's kind of what doing. yeah right. yeah so uh so yeah so she would show this movie to people that she was kind of supposedly trying to get into the cult or trying to like show her religious beliefs um it's weird because she seemed to be studying in college. She was studying physical education. I think she wanted to be like a teacher. Yeah. Um, and like I said, students at the school thought she was totally, totally normal. But then she was doing all this stuff 
<laughs> like when she would go to Mexico. Um, you know, and actually it, it was so bad that later on, like after they all got caught, like investigators thought maybe she had like multiple personality disorder or something like that. Like she, but I think she was just able to like compartmentalize, but yeah, she's still alive nowadays. As far as I know, a lot of the other ones aren't. She's only a couple years older than me. Yeah. She's pretty young. So Constanzo, um, you know, Adolfo Constanzo. And his followers at this point. I'm not sure how many he had, but it was quite a few. So they set up their little base of operations at a place called Rancho Santa Elena. Now, this was near Matamoros. I believe it's about 20 miles outside of kind of the, you know, downtown of Matamoros, if you want to call it that. Now, this property had been owned by the Hernandez family. Now, at this stage... Prior to this, it seems like they had mostly been doing the rituals and sacrificing animals. But it seems at this point, I mean, it's possible that they could have murdered people before this. I'm not really sure. But it seems like right around this time that the cult decided that, you know, we can put all these animals and like, you know, bones that we robbed from graves and stuff like that into the Nganga, the, you know, the ceremonial cauldron and that's cool and it seems to be working and everything but wouldn't it be much better and like give us much more power much more strength and stuff like that if we sacrificed live humans instead of just animals now so they got this idea so over the next you know short period of time a bunch of mutilated bodies started turning up around Mexico City. Now, one of these people who was murdered, um, and this was believed to be the first brain that was inserted into the Nganga, the first human brain, anyway. They would put animal brains and stuff in there. Because if you, like I said, the Nganga is kind of like a, a thing, like a, like a being. And so if you want it to think, you have to put a brain in it, right? I mean, makes sense. So they had put animal brains and stuff like that. But as far as I know, as far as my research took me, the first human brain that was put in there was from um, a transvestite that one of them knew. Like, she lived in the same building as one of his followers. And the follower was like, man, like, she's such a pain in the ass. She's always, like, in the hallway, like, smooching on underage boys and, like, blocking the stairs and blah, blah, blah. And so he was like, she's a pain in the ass. And then... So Adolfo was like, well, do you want me to, like, take care of her? And he didn't say no. So Constanza's like, okay, well, maybe we'll do that. So they go to her apartment and basically tied her to a chair, um, cut off her fingers and toes, cut off her ears, cut off the penis, and then... Um, they were like, well, now we better kill her because she's screaming her head off, obviously. And, you know, the neighbors are going to call the cops. Which... Oh, they did it while she was alive? Yeah, <laughs> they did all this while, yeah. Wow. And they're like, well, we need the brain to put in the Nganga because the, the Nganga needs to think. We need a brain. So they cut off the top of the skull and um, popped the brain out. While he was alive? And took it, yeah. Damn. And so... Couldn't um, be. Well, I mean, you know. 
I'm sure she wasn't alive after, like while they were doing it. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean. But all cut, cutting off the toes and fingers and ears and stuff. Well, the reason that they did that was because you could stay alive longer. I mean, yeah. you're not going to die from getting a finger cut off or a toe cut off or yeah, even your penis cut off. That's a lot of blood loss. It is, yeah. Together. But it's like they kind. I think they kind of did it slowly. Damn. But they needed a brain, so they took the brain. Damn. And how'd they cut the top of the head off? Did they say? Uh, probably a machete. That's what they usually use. Okay, that would have killed him. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, obviously, if you're gonna do that, they're just like, well, yeah, we need the. Well, brain there's a way to cut it off out. and keep him alive. Well, yeah, but I don't need think. A little I, circular saw. But they were just like in an apartment building. I'm sure right, they didn't yeah. really want to go. Right. Yeah. Too crazy with it, and like I said, they were screaming and everything. So, they kind of cut up the body and put it in bags and stuff, and just like threw them in you know garbage cans like around the city and stuff like that so as i said at this point once they decided that man human sacrifice was the way to go because it would make the nganga so much more powerful and all their spells a lot more powerful they just went to fucking town it seems like now a lot of the things i read a lot of the essays i read a lot of the documentaries and stuff like that say that many of the cult's victims were like rivals like they're drug rivals and stuff like that which is true as far as it goes but i think that's a little dismissive because one they're not entirely sure how many people they killed and there are stories that they probably just killed random ass people that they kidnapped off the street because they're like oh the nganga needs a heart or needs something like that and they would just snatch somebody off the street they think also that they sacrificed well at least one kid that they know of but maybe more than that you know what I mean? If if the Nganga needed youth, then they would go snatch a kid off. Because they absolutely had no compunctions about doing that. They really did. They seemed, as it went on, they kind of got, he was trying to get his followers, like, desensitized. Yeah, to killing people. To doing this stuff. And he would make, because it does seem, from what I heard, that at first, like, some of his followers were like, oh, man, this is fucked up. You know what I mean? And, like, we're throwing up and stuff. But he would just, he would make them do shit. It's like he would make them do shit, like, to people's dead bodies. Like, even after they were dead, like, we'll cut it up and do this and that. He was trying to desensitize them. So he did that as well. So, yeah. So, like I said, he took he takes this brain and puts it in the Nganga. And they had all of these other victims. Yes, many of them were rival, But a lot of it was just kind of small-time shit. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, hey, here's these two guys who said that these other drug people could put you know, could move their shit through this field and Constanzo didn't like that. So he's like, let's go kill those dudes. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like, oh, everybody they killed was also bad people. I don't think it was like that. They were just targets of opportunity. They were just targets of opportunity. And like I said, I'm pretty sure that some of them were just like snatched off the street, just random ass people because they needed somebody. So there was that. Um, What they would normally do, uh, so they would, they had a, um, like a shack, like on the ranch. And that's usually where they would take the people and they would torture them for a long time. Um, Usually also Adolfo would rape them. The interesting thing about this, and I saw a couple documentaries point this out. They said he was real uh, keen to make his followers, uh, you know, torture the people, like cut off their fingers and their penises and stuff. Um, But when he raped them, he would make everybody leave. (laughs) Maybe he had performance anxiety. Maybe, yeah, it's like, but it's like he'll he'll cut people's brains out, but it's like he can't like have people watching him like sodomize the people, which I thought was very too much pressure, too much performance. I guess too it's much not that weird. Pressure, yeah, but yeah, 
<laughs> that was one of the ways he would like torture. Maybe them. he wasn't very impressive. Yeah, maybe he didn't want anybody. He to was, see yeah, him. he was a little was fucking two-inch like... willy. Xanada <laughs> said Jenny did a deep dive on this one. I can tell. Yeah, I mean, this is some crazy shit. She's good at that, man. She'll investigate. She'll fucking. Well, and especially if it's shit. true crime stuff, it's yeah, just kind of like I, I just, I just get all down yeah. a rabbit hole. You know what I mean? Yeah, and for like two days, I'll just be like reading about yeah, this two, horrible three days, shit. Two, three days, she'll be fucking pulling up. <laughs> reading about this horrible shit. She's a, her, in that brain is a fucking encyclopedia of this kind of shit. Yeah. She's got a good memory, too. Which I'm not sure if that's like a good thing, but... You know, <laughs> I don't understand. That's just the way my brain works. <laughs> I can't help it. It's just... That's just what my brain is interested in. I'm just yeah. like, you know, there's not much I can do about that. But she's a horror writer and she does a bunch of other shit. Yeah, too. I just love that kind yeah, of shit. Likes- it's just like... I don't, you know, I don't love it because obviously horrible things happen to... Yeah. Her innocent people but I just I have like a weird she ended up with a crazy motherfucker like me I think probably yeah (laughs) well but the thing about it is that I'm not so bad in in hindsight like in comparison (laughs) yeah you are not crazy yeah right yeah yeah this dude is fucking crazy I'm bad but I'm not so bad that you can't fuck me see that's (laughs) (laughs) and you're not really that bad like I said compared to the motherfuckers I read about every day You're not, you don't even, you're not no. even on the scale. No, you're I, not even I have on, You're not even on the spectrum. I have some honor. Right. If I fuck you up, there's a reason. And, and you, I think and that's you, true of you, most people. Yeah, yeah. You know. Most people would agree with me fucking you up if I fuck you up. If they, if they knew the details, like, yeah, I'd fuck that dude up too. So That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. most of the time when you say it's like, yeah, I'd fuck that dude, I'm like, yeah, I probably would too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Justice for Me said, anyone bring Viagra to the ritual? Yeah, it's like, why didn't yeah. you do that? I don't know. Yeah. Like, apparently it's a good it's pretty, drug. It's, yeah, it is, yeah. it's one of the best. <laughs> Tom loves that shit. I love Viagra. <laughs> I, love, I love Viagra. I love testosterone. I love steroids. <laughs> I love hormones. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. I love trend, but Jen won't let me do it anymore. Oh, now, oh, you're putting that on me now? That I won't let you do no, it? No, it's correct, though. I told you. I said yeah. it's like I would never. Oh, I wouldn't right. stop you from doing anything, but you have no. to understand that actions have consequences. Yeah, you can do it if you want, but I'm gonna. Move, up, I'm gonna move out. <laughs> I'll end up. I'll end up in prison. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. I so became, I, when I was on trend, I became the goblin. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, the green goblin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Xander also said this case is almost too crazy to believe. Yeah, this is out there. I mean, this yeah. is out there. Like I said, this was, during the satanic panic, this is kind of what they were saying all these cults were doing in the United States, which they weren't, but these people were doing it. These people were doing it. And they have, like, the... But, you know, as far as I know, this is, like, the worst one. Here's the difference, though. The reality of the fucking satanic panic was in Mexico. And it was scumbags running this little cult, little two-bit cults, running around killing people. And trying to make money off drug cartels. The North American fantasy of a satanic cult was a rich, powerful, elevated fucking organization on par with the fucking Catholic Church. That was breeding babies for sacrifice. And they were everywhere. They were in all the nodes of control. They were in the cops. They were in the fucking... Yeah, it was this huge network. They were fucking in the government... It was a fucking which that's a little grandiose paranoia. Yeah, and that they were they controlled rock and roll music and all the fucking yeah. record companies and shit. Yeah, they made them yeah. put all these like subliminal yeah. messages in there yeah, to get your yeah. children converted. Backwards masking and shit. Right. It was a fucking awesome fantasy. 
And if you liked heavy metal, fucking you played into it. And it well, became sure. Black metal and well, yeah, because that's fucking hilarious, man. Yeah, yeah, it was you know, but that's fucking hilarious. Yeah. To like maybe it's like oh yeah, we're totally doing that. Totally. I, I blame Geraldo Rivera. I blame him for a lot of things. He, he had a lot <laughs> to do with that, and I blame Sally Jesse Raphael. Yeah, they all the all the and, daytime talk. And Phil Donahue. Well. Yeah. You can blame them yeah. on the one hand, yeah. but you also kind of have to blame the people that were watching that shit too. Yeah, they were and un- believing un- it. Unemployed people in in, in unemployed. Because I watched it too, but I knew it was yeah. all bullshit. It was mostly unemployed women, and I just thought it was very funny. Who stayed at home? But it has real consequences. Yeah. That's why it's shitty. And watched that shit all fucking morning long. And that's all. That's being like pounded into your brain, like yeah. day after day, that yeah. all of this stuff is going on, even though it's not. Like all that shit was fucking fake. That was in a time when fucking television ruled the roost. It was the internet of the day. Boy, they, and I, I can't even go back and watch old television programs. That's how low quality the information was. It. I didn't realize it, but television made you stupider. It made you dumb as fuck watching yeah, I that. that. Yeah. Yeah, Zana said, Geraldo Rivera gave away American troop positions live on air during the second Iraq war. Yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Guy is a tool. Yeah, he's a giant tool. And like I said, all of that kind of... I, you can't blame them directly because people are watching it. If people weren't watching it, they wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's like, if yeah. you don't like it, don't watch it. And if nobody watched it, then they wouldn't make it. You know? That too. But yeah, I can totally blame... Like, Geraldo Rivera is a fucking tool. <laughs> He's still he's still a fucking tool. Yeah, he's the. Is he still alive? That, yeah, that, that whole generation of fucking television. They're all kind. They're of tools, all fucking tools. To be honest, yeah, they were all they were all tools. Yeah, yeah. So the only one that was kind of not a tool was Ricky Lake because she was obvious that she was just about fun. That she didn't take any of that shit seriously. Remember yeah, Ricky see, Lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Like, I didn't even mind like the ones that were just about like silly topics. Yeah. But you know, the ones that were kind of like. You know, about Satanists or all this other kind of stuff. Like I said, that is... The important question about Ricky Lake is that was she cuter when she was skinny or when she got fat? Because some people preferred fat Ricky Lake. I think she was kind of cute either way. Yeah. Well, she was in Hairspray. Yeah. The John Waters movie. Yeah. And I thought she was quite cute in that. Yeah. As Tracy Turnblad. Yeah. And the whole point of that character was that she was, you know, heavy. Yeah, but I thought, cute she, I thought she was cute as shit. In that. But she when she cute. first started the, the the show, though, she wasn't that heavy. She gained weight later on the Ricky Lake show. Like, at least she lost weight first. Yeah, she, she kind of went up and, and down. And then she fucking gained. She kind of went up and down. And there was like she, there was like a fucking group of guys that during the during those days would be like, well, what was better, skinny Ricky Lake or fat Ricky Lake? Ricky, Lake, she wasn't really fat. She was just chubby. Chubby Ricky Lake was cute. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she got thin, she still looked good, but she kind of looked like like generic. Generic, yeah. Like when she was heavier, <laughs> she kind of yeah. had her own thing going on, and yeah. I was kind of like, yeah, I, I like that game. It's like yeah. I like that. Like I said, I especially liked her in Hairspray. I she looked she like was, she could give. She head. was she was adorable in it. She looked like she could give head when she was fat. It was like, yeah, she'd probably be good to give head. That's just that's that's not me saying that. That my friends were saying that too. Really? Yeah. What what are me and what Steve are the, were like? There's just something she could probably give head. What are, what are the what are the parameters of that? Something about the mouth and the face. Oh okay. Yeah, back but she probably would have had the same thing if she was thin, though. <laughs> no, or something different about oh, it. Okay. Fat girls fucking give good head. They tend to. Interesting. Yeah, oral fixation maybe. 
I had heard that before, but I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure if that's true across the board. But like I said, well, you know, I got a big body count. I'll tell well, you that's right. what I mean. You so, so you, you're actually. a statistical outlier, so maybe yeah. you can. Uh, yeah. The, no, I I did kind of note that. Noted. Yeah, I kind of noted that. In his little book about like heavier, who gives, gives the best that. blowjobs. <laughs> yeah. Tom's book of best blowjobs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, it's yeah. like Back I, in those days, I've noticed that girls probably, over X pounds, yeah, yeah, give yeah. Per, whatever percentage. They were better also blow more jobs. aggressive. They were also more aggressive. They'd fucking track your ass down to fucking blow you. Track your ass. Down. I told you that story, fucking. Yeah. Carrie's sister. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't got nothing to lose, man. They're just kind of like, yeah. and, they, and they're used, to, and I guess they're kind of getting used to like passed over. Yeah. So like, I'm just gonna go after they what I want. God damn it. Something. They got to shine at something. They they do shine. Sure. They do shine at that. Yeah. I mean, they're not all like that, obviously, no. because I know a lot they're of them aren't like that. But yeah. but yeah, I have yeah. I know what you're talking about. Though. Yeah. I know what you're talking. They try about. harder. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you kind of have to have something to offer. Yeah. Right. Because when you're heavier, you don't. You know, a lot of dudes won't look at yeah. you, so you have to kind of yeah. Although uh, you know, come at it a different. Talked way. about it before. There are some women that actually can really genetically just carry weight. They look real good. You know what I mean? The brothers know what I'm talking about. They got some women that. The thing is, though, is that you can only do that for a certain amount of time. Once they start get hitting in their 30s and 40s, a lot of times the skin just can't hold up to that amount of fucking gravity. But they got Instagram models that are at least fucking. 60, 70 pounds overweight, but they're fucking curvy as hell. They look good. Yeah, yeah. it's all where it is. It's where it is. Where it's yeah, distributed. Yeah. If it's real fucking hourglass, then yeah, you can get away with it. Danny says, uh, BBW Ricky Lake was hotter. I think she was. And also, Serial Mom Ricky was hot. Oh, we need to, man, yeah. we need to review Serial Mom. Yeah. That's a John Waters movie. Yeah. Ricky Lake was in that. Kathleen Turner was in that. Oh, it's yeah. so good. I love that movie. We need to do more John Waters movies yeah. now that I'm thinking about it. I think we've booked... Oh, they're, they're going off and on about Hey, man, Tom. Who said this shit? I just saw... Who said And Justice for Me. Who said a that? And Justice for Me said, Amen, Tom. Chrome off a trailer hinge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have heard that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have heard that, yeah. Yeah. They try hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I was heavier in high school, but I, I don't know if that was true of me. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I never had anybody say that about me that I know of. So, so I don't really know. Um, yeah, so let's see. Where were we? Okay, so we get we get off on these fucking tangents. Why does that always happen? Um, so yeah. Okay, so their whole thing was that when they were doing this to the people, they tried to do as much as possible when the people were still alive. Like they would cut off fingers, cut off toes, cut off genitals, like fuck with it. It was usually men that they targeted. I don't know if they killed a lot of women. I think the, all the bodies that they found were men. Um... You know, so they would, you know, cut off their ears. That was another big thing. And they would also, I think a couple times, they even tried to skin them alive. Uh, so there was that too. Because they believed that the more the victim suffered and the more that they screamed, then the more powerful um, their body parts would be when you put them in the inganga. You know what I mean? So some motherfucker that just like sat there and was all stoic and shit like that that shit wasn't gonna work you had to have somebody that was like freaking out and like you know that was in a lot of pain they thought that would make that like a lot more powerful so that's why they were doing a lot of this stuff to people so apparently what they would do is that they would take the body parts and then put them in the cauldron and then kind of boil them and then the followers would like drink out of that which i know is gross as shit that like makes me want to gag 
Um, and they thought that by drinking out of the Nganga, that it made them bulletproof and also invisible to law enforcement. Spoiler alert, it did not, but they thought that it did. Also, and this is fun, this will come up later when we're talking about the murder of Mark Kilroy. Um, another thing that they did was that they would wear necklaces made out of their victims' backbones. And there was a, there was a very special particular way that they would get them out. And it's, it's pretty fun. Not really, but I'm just saying. So, yeah. Now, they also had, like, all the cult members that were, that had killed somebody. They got their little uh, branding kind of marks. They would put, like, little marks. They would heat up a knife, and they would put kind of, everybody had, like, a different mark. You had, like, a different little shape or a different figure or whatever. And they would put that, like, all over you, like, little hatch marks or whatever. Now, I will say that this habit that they had of occasionally just, like, snatching some fucking people off the street if they needed a sacrifice at least one time kind of worked against them because what happened this one particular time was that they were like okay well we need somebody to sacrifice like toot sweet so you guys need to just go out and just just grab the first person you see it doesn't matter who it is so they went out onto the ranch because it was like a big you know property or whatever and they just grabbed the first person they saw which happened to be a 14 year old boy now they put a hood over his head and they brought him back to the, um, you know, the, the shack where they would do the shit. Now, Hernandez, he takes a machete and lops the kid's head off. Damn. He takes the hood off. It's his cousin. Ooh! <laughs> that worked on the farm. Damn. And then, like, the mom also lived there, and she's like, where, my, where did my kid go? You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're just like, uh, we don't know. I mean, apparently he was real broken up about it, but yeah. it's like, well, that's... Shouldn't have got involved in that shit. <laughs> what goes around comes around. That should be a red flag right there. It's like, one, before you cut someone's head off, at least check who it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's really messed up. It's like... <laughs> I was like, I heard that, and I was just like, oh my god, that is fucking <laughs> horrible. That's fucking horrible. It's a 14-year-old kid. Yeah. He just happened to be the first person. He, he like, worked on the farm. He, like, yeah. took care of the animals or something. Yeah. And they just saw him. It's like, hey, there's one. And, they you know, the guys who grabbed him didn't know who he was. So they just brought him to the thing, and he had a hood over his head. And the guy was like, all right, I'll just do this real quick yeah. to show that I'm a member of the cult. And he's like, oh, shit. And he was Idiots real broken up. Idiots can do about. a lot of damage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the lesson there. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of lessons there, but that yeah. is one of the main lessons. Yes. Um, Idiots do a lot of damage. Now, at this stage, this is spring of 1989. Now, Adolfo says to his cult people, I want you to bring me a gringo, you know, a white man for the next sacrifice, because this is going to bring us more power for us. Now, this request, reportedly, this is what I've heard, um, came after... Another sacrifice that he had done, like recently, and the dude that he sacrificed absolutely did not scream the entire, he didn't make a fucking peep the whole time, like even though he's being tortured and shit like that. And this upset Adolfo a lot because he's just kind of, because I think you were in the bathroom, but he believed that the more they screamed, the more they suffered, 
the more powerful the magic would be. He must so, have overheard him say that. So if he just like sits there and doesn't like won't give him the satisfaction, and yeah. this, a guy like I said apparently did not give him, you know, yeah. didn't make a peep. Took it like a fucking like a fucking soldier, yeah. Right, and he just didn't make a noise. So because I was like, well that well that one was no good. I yeah. can't I can't use that dude's parts in the Nganga. Um, <sighs> Years so, back, I saw a video. Cause I get set videos every now and then. Fucking murder hornet sent me some of them. Something like I couldn't. Even Saw one where the cartel was cutting off this woman's head. She was alive. They were cut it off with a fucking pocket knife, basically small three-inch knife, for being a rat. And she leaned into it. She didn't make a fucking sound. She just looked at that dude in the fucking didn't want to give him like the satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, she probably knew it was going to happen anyway. That dude fucking cut her head off, looking at her. Yeah, that was fucking, and she didn't make a sound. Well, apparently this like, guy, Fuh. that takes yeah. some balls right there. Yeah, and a, a woman, can, they have a higher pain threshold than Generally, men. they do, yeah. Uh, but fucking still, he hacked her fucking head I feel off. like getting your head the cut fucking... off is a whole other yeah. level. It wasn't chopped, it was cut off. And he was, oh, it was fucking bad. The spite that she had was yeah, more powerful yeah. she leaned than into the pain. It, looked at him and fucking She's like, fuck grimaced. you, buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my hero right there. So I guess that's how you do it. Because, like I said, they're you know they're gonna kill you anyway. Yeah. So you might as well not give them the give satisfaction. Them no satisfaction yeah. Although I kind of feel like most people are gonna scream whether they want to or not because uh, shit's. Very she cool. wasn't a civilian. She was in the cartel too. Right. So she knew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Xana said, "Wow, I'd never heard that story about yeah." So that's what I heard anyway, that he had sacrificed a dude, but the dude didn't make any sound. Like, he didn't scream, and he's like, well, it doesn't work. That's, you know, that that was a wasted one. Um, so he's like, so I kind of want somebody that he called soft. And he particularly wanted, here's another weird thing. He also wanted the brain, a new brain for his Nganga. Um, and he wanted a smarter brain. So he specifically, I've heard that he specifically asked for a med student, which is what this guy uh, was. Um, but he wanted somebody that was cut when American college student because he thought that would be like a smarter, like a superior brain that he could put in his cauldron. You know what I mean? Keep also, the smart ass grain goes. Yeah. Also, um, he thought that well, everybody we've sacrificed thus far has been Mexican, and that's worked out for us for us on this side of the border. Like we haven't been caught, or you know, yeah. nothing bad has happened. But it's like if we sacrifice an American, then that protection will be extended side, yeah. like to that side of the border. So he seemed to believe that, or that's what he told his followers anyway. So he was basically like, "Hey, go get me a white dude." Um. So there was that. So the victim that they ended up getting. Uh, and this was quite a famous case. Uh, this was on America's Most Wanted and everything, like back when it happened, back in 1989, was Mark Kilroy. Now, he was originally from uh, Santa Fe, Texas, not Santa Fe, New Mexico. And he was kind of like the the platonic ideal of, like, the all-American guy. You know what I mean? He's quite tall, you know, pretty good looking, had, like, blonde hair. Um, he was really good at school, like he was one of the top students. Um, he was a really good athlete. You know, he played all these different sports, baseball, basketball, golf, blah, blah, blah. He was a Boy Scout. Uh, he was an honor student. He was on the student council, all this other kind of shit. So he graduated from high school in 1986. 
And then he went to Southwest Texas State University. That's in San Marcos, Texas. And then he transferred to, um, is it Tarleton or Tarleton? I'm not really sure. I'm not from Texas. Um, in Stevensville. And he went there on a basketball scholarship. So that's how good an, uh, an athlete he was. He was in a fraternity and everything like that. Um, but then he decided he was going to go to med school. So he went to the University of Texas at Austin and went into pre-med. So classes let out for spring break uh on march 10th 1989 so mark and three of his friends whose names were bradley moore bill huddleston and brent martin they're gonna go down to mexico for spring break as thousands and thousands of college students did then and likely still do so at first they went to south padre island in texas and they were going to, you know, just do spring break shit. They were going to, like, hang out on the beach, try to pick up girls, drink a lot, and blah blah um, And at night, they were going to go over to Matamoros in Mexico, which is literally walking distance. You just walk across a bridge, and you're in Mexico. You know what I mean? Uh, and obviously, the drinking age in Mexico is much lower than it is in the United States. So that's why a lot of college kids would walk over there you know what i mean so they could go and drink and everything was fine and there was like tons of tourists and all that other kind of stuff so um i put down this little detail because i thought you would appreciate this tom one of the things that they did while they were on their spring break their hotel would have every day a beauty contest but it was very specifically a miss tan line contest i love tan line i know that's why i thought that was funny and i yeah. thought i would write that i'm like wouldn't tan. they run out of women with i guess not I got the Every single day they're having that? I got the tan line fetish back in the 70s when I was a little kid living in California. Fucking, it just, I just thought tan. Girls would fucking take a lot of sun. Well, apparently you're not the only one because they had a whole yeah, beauty contest yeah, back in the late 1980s. Yeah. And they judging were, they who were had the best tan off lines. Those fucking tan lines a lot. Which is, that's so very funny. They were even showing tan lines like in fucking Penthouse and Hustler back in those days. I was like, fucking, show advertising some chick's tan line. It's kind of like you see the lines of underwear lingerie on the woman and she's not wearing anything. So she's got clothes on and clothes off at the same time. Yeah, Tom digs that. Yeah, I dig Well, that's why I wrote that whole thing down yeah. because one, I thought it was kind of funny because I was like, wow, what a specific beauty contest. But I was like, oh, Tom loves tan lines. I love them, So yeah. I'm going to write that down because I, yeah. I have to remember to mention that. That's out of style. You don't see it anymore. Not really. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, shit. I think I forgot to mention. This is, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but we got like kind of off on a thing. We have a new patron. Oh, we do? Okay. Yeah. I meant to mention at the very beginning, but I only just remembered now. That's good. Kelly G. Kelly G. So hi, Kelly G. She also sent me like a really nice message. She sent me a couple messages What'd before and she was just like, I swear I'm not your lesbian stalker. Okay. Yeah. But... <laughs> She's a lesbian stuff. Well, no, because she, she's like, I got my husband into your show, and okay, it's just right. like, he'll watch the stuff and everything. But um, she thinks I'm hilarious, which yeah. is, I am kind of hilarious. No, she is, yeah. But, you know, probably not as hilarious as you are, but I'm- No, also, everybody's hilarious. But I'm also pretty shake hilarious. Shake that drink up. What, shake it? Oh, See yeah. It? Oh, my shit's yeah, settling Yeah, you gotta look at it. Well, what am I supposed to do about this it? This is what I did. Out in the back, I grow passion fruit. I make our passion fruit. Passion fruit. I make my own passion fruit juice. As they fall off a fucking tree, off the vine. All right, I gotta pee though. Hold on, let me do it. Go ahead. I, I gotta pee. So what did she say in, in the comments? 
Well, she didn't say anything. That's it? I just... Rem- no, she sent me an email. Uh-huh. But it's just... I just remembered that I was supposed to mention that she's a new teacher. Okay. I just I'm just kind of mixing up her drink. <laughs> Jen will be back in a second. But no, uh, I'll go ahead and plug patrons. Of course, um, we don't... The show is mostly demonetized. We do get ad, ad revenue on some stuff. But usually because of the content of what we're talking about, we get demonetized. So the show basically survives off now patrons. And we do that shit off Patreon. We do get some super chats and every now and then we'll get a super thanks. Um, If you are listening to the show recorded and you send a super thanks, we almost always respond to that super super thanks fucking... um, in a text so I just wanted to thank y'all who have already given us a super super thanks and uh, encouraging other people to give super thanks and super chats because that's how we keep the show going Uh, let me see what we have going here see if I have anybody who's talking now Murder Hornet says that Mango Badger was the genital mutilator nah I don't know about that Mutilator. Yeah. What did I miss? And then Xanada saying said the bees nest murder hornet probably hung out with this guy. Yeah, yeah, probably murder hornet. Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny's the brains of the operation. Tom is the comic relief. <laughs> well, really, when we first started the show, we kind of had a, a kind of a, a Abbott and Costello kind of fucking thing where <laughs> she was the straight man and I was the comic relief. That was. That was usually how it went. Some of the fucking younger audience didn't really uh, respond to that too well. Like, why does he keep interrupting? It's a show. <laughs> we're taught. We're trying to kill time. You're at work or you're driving. I do the same thing. Okay. I like to listen to Wang. I like. There's a lot of shows I like. Like to listen listen to when I'm driving. Especially, I drove from here to Mississippi listening to Wang the whole time. Man, he killed fucking ten hours of driving. It was like that. I mean, I used to listen to, like, Simon Whistler driving back and forth, like, on my long commute to and from work. And there are some YouTube shows that I fucking will put on if I want to go to sleep. And it's no disrespect to that show. I love that show. And it keeps you relaxed. It's just kind of comforting, yeah. And I fucking just kind of drift off. And then I'll go back and listen to them over and over again, you know. So, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, SideQuest Hero. Just showed up and gave us a super chat. Yeah, I think that's a female. Isn't SideQuest Hero? I think it's a female. I mean, the picture looks like, but it's like... like, Thank you very much, SideQuest Hero. Yeah, Xanada said, I never heard the story about the guy chopping his own cousin's head off. That's fucked up. Now, some, some of the sources I saw said it was his nephew, but... One of the more definitive ones said it was his cousin. So it was either his nephew or his cousin. I mean, it was still a relative. And they were 14. Yeah. Can you fucking imagine? That's a little baby. Yeah. Can you fucking imagine? It's like, well, one, like I said, lesson there. Don't just be like snatching random people up. Hey, let's just snatch a random person up and then cut their head off. Yeah, let's let's not do that. Let's just don't do that. Um, and, and then you won't have this kind of thing happen to you. It's like, oh, no, it's actually my, you know, it's actually my relative. Just, you know, lesson learned. Lesson learned. So, yeah. Um, so, Mark, uh, you know, the was going to the Miss Tanline contest. I don't know why that was so funny to me. I'm like, because like I said, it's, you know, it's spring break. All the hotels are going to be filled with college students. So, obviously, they're going to have shit like, I don't know, cream corn wrestling or something. Maybe that's more a biker thing. But, um, but you know, they're going to have beauty contests. They're going to have hot chicks and bikinis and blah, blah, blah. Um, thank you very much. 
is that Wallcat? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't see that good. Uh, thank you very much. Enjoy your channel. Appreciate the hard work. It must take a lot of time. It does, yeah. But um, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the super chats. Very, very nice of you. Um, so yeah. So I just thought it was very funny that they had a very specific beauty contest that was all about tan lines. And like I said, that made me laugh because Tom's really into tan lines. Because <laughs> he's always trying to get me to lay out in the sun and do it. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm a goth. I'm not laying out in the sun. Fuck that. So you know what I mean? <laughs> If you really want me to, it's like just, you can draw them on there if you want. But it's like, I like my paleness. I'm I'm not into the tan thing. But yeah. So, you know, he did try to get me to do that for a while. But I'm not going to do that. Like I said, you can draw it on me with paint if you want. But I'm not doing it from real life. Oh, is that another super chat? Yes, it is. Thank you very from much. From Wildcat. Wildcat, thank you very much. Enjoy, enjoy your, your channel. and appreciate, appreciate the hard work. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you very yeah. much. I mean, I do enjoy doing these shows, though. But we, like, we it like is... the show. We like hanging out with y'all. But we do like to make money, also. <laughs> <laughs> I like money. Yeah, we, I like money. You like money? I can't believe I, that you I like money. I know. I Man, like... I can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like the second yeah. idiocracy thing we've made today. Did I? Because I made a Brondo like joke yeah. earlier when we were in Dollar General. Idiocracy is a masterpiece. If y'all haven't seen it, <laughs> yeah. I made a Brondo joke earlier. But yeah, yeah, fucking. <laughs> Because you said some, uh, some, dra some weird drink we saw in Dollar General. I said, it's what it's what plants crave. Yeah, it's what plants crave. <laughs> Just out of... Zadida. Me and Zadida fucking talk off show a lot. Send messages. He sends a lot of movies. We review them. I'm kind of like his mentor on what fucking high-quality movie to watch next. Another one I, I got to put you on, bro. Idiocracy. If you haven't seen it, it's fucking Yeah, great. I kind of feel like everybody has seen that. It's hard to not. find that movie. Maybe not. Because they kind of try to suppress it. Oh, I don't know about that. I think it's yeah, pretty, it's pretty easy to get. I heard, I heard that the companies like Fuddruckers and all the people that funded it did not like that movie because they changed the name to Buttfuckers right. and shit like that. It was like a very Which, look. If you're naming, the, if you're naming your restaurant Fuddruckers, you it, can't be mad. That's what's gonna happen that's it, because that's what everybody's thinking of, and you <laughs> wanted everybody to think that, or yeah. you wouldn't have named it Fuddruckers in the mm. first place. So let's not get all yeah. The people that did all high the and mighty about it. The people that did the product placement were not happy. It didn't. It didn't run long in theaters, but it's it's a, well. It, it's it a, became like a cult. Yeah, it, it yeah, got a big yeah, cult yeah, following yeah. like later on. Yeah, Erica Lynn said, "I oh my god." I got a comment on this. I remember those stickers they sold at the tanning salon to get a tan line sticker. They were like Playboy bunny stickers and yeah. cherries. Yeah. You know what's funny? When I was a little kid, I had a doll that was like a Barbie doll. Um, I can't remember what her name was, though. I'll remember it in a second. But she not only had a turnable scalp, like she had blonde hair on yeah. one side and black hair on the other side. So you could like turn it around and change her hair color. Yeah. But you also, she had all these stickers and you could put on her body and yeah. then lay her out in the sun, and then she would get a tan. Yeah. And then she would get... Yeah. What the fuck was the name of that thing? Look, I want to tell you girls something. Fuck, even to this day, I know how men operate. If you had a tan, and you used a sticker, and you had a Playboy body or some fucking tacky fucking thing like that on your ass, dudes would fucking love it. The tackier dudes that shit love is, tacky shit. Fucking the, the hotter they would think you were, yeah. Yeah. Tom also loves tacky. Oh, fucking like love every tacky he'll shit. be like scrolling through Timu or something like that, like fucking looking because he buys me clothes all the time. Yeah, and he'll go through there and he'll be like, "Look at this." I'm just like, "Bitch, I would never wear that." Come it's on. just tacky. <laughs> I'm like, "That's terrible." I just want to fuck you in it. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you walking around in it that much. Yeah, it's like I'm not going outside in that. Fucking <laughs> underwear that says "Juicy Fruit" over the booty and shit. Yeah, like it that. looks like fuck, the gum wrapper, just, just like a gum wrapper. Yeah, like if you want to spend your money on that, fine. But it's just like I'm not wearing that. I'm not wearing that. 
guys like tacky. There's, I know, I know they do. There's a there's an element of fucking eroticism to it. Just like yeah, okay. y'all y'all sell tacky motherfuckers. Yeah, you can't help him. Yeah, well, it's tacky with a sense of humor. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's that's fair enough. Yeah, as long as you don't make me wear it outside the house. Mm. Or don't take a picture of me and send it to everybody you know. <laughs> oh, I'd love to do that. Like it, yeah, I know you would. I sent because you already I sent pictures of her to fucking murder hornet and fucking anybody's fucking I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> like most, you took to most whom? of the photos. You took well, I know that. Yeah, I know I took them. Yeah, but it's like I didn't send them to anybody. But it's like I have no idea to whom he has sent them to. Yeah. I know some of the people he sent them to, but he could be sending them to anybody, like random ass people, and I don't. Usually know. trading. Usually yeah. trading for stuff. Yeah. So we're we're getting something out of it. It's part of our fucking porn enterprise. Anyway. That's true. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't send like terrible shitty pictures. Because no, sometimes, no, no. sometimes you like pictures of me that I don't really like, and I would rather yeah, other people kinda, didn't see. I like certain kind of pictures that women don't tend to like. But yeah, fucking, I know. No, a lot of pictures you took that were fucking like elegant, and you look great in them. Fucking, I changed my. I got that shit on my fucking on my fucking tablets. He does. Yeah. I'm at Starbucks and shit scrolling, and all my fucking. Background screens are fucking Jenny with fucking boobs and shit. Fucking, they, they, she looks great in them. Though. I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty flattering, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. At least he's not like putting some other random chick up there. No. <laughs> they're all no. of me. They're all of me. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's one of them. She got clothes. Yeah, I got clothes on that one. Yeah, just shit like that. Yeah. The some other of them she doesn't have. Clothes. The other one I don't have clothes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know the other one that you're yeah, talking that about. Yeah, that changes my. That's a cute Jenny picture. I got my blue contacts in. <laughs> yeah, that's a cute Jenny picture. Yeah. I got blue contacts. Yeah. I got green contacts. I got yeah. red contacts. Yeah. Psyquest uh, Hero said, dude, jo- Dollar General is dope. They sell Rip It. Yeah, yeah. When I was in the Army, Rip It was like the energy drink we got in the chow hall. And the only place they have them now is Dollar General. We have one like literally right, right there. Right there. Like you can walk to I'll it. I'll go down there and get a gallon of milk or buy cheese or It's just so convenient. Get a fucking two liter. Yeah, it's convenient. A lot of candy. Get little Debbie. We just went there today. Yeah. We I go have... there a lot. Buy a little fucking treats. Because it's right there. You get temptations for the cats. Yeah, we get we get all yeah, the cat yeah, treats yeah. there. I just I went there today because I had to get coffee creamer. I can't not yeah. have coffee creamer. I ran out. I love Dollar General. Yeah, it's awesome. only find that fucking food deserts out in the country. Yeah. <laughs> Out here they're everywhere. Yeah. Florida's because you know grocery stores are kind of like few and far, but we do have a Publix like only a mile or so up the yeah. road, but you know what I mean? We'll go there if we want like better stuff, but subs. Yeah. Fucking badass ice cream. I bought some of that cheap ass dollar store fucking ice cream in the big tub. The cookies and cream. They can't even call it ice cream. They call it frozen dessert. Because <laughs> it's technically You get a big gallon of that shit for like fucking six bucks. It's fucking good. It was though, pretty man. good, yeah. It's good. Don't be afraid of it. It won't hurt It's you. not ice cream because there's no cream in it. They use milk. And then to fortify the fat in there, they've used fucking vegetable oils. Yeah. Okay, so they legally can't call it cream. It still tastes okay, though. But it's still good. The only difference is is that it's per cup, there's more calories in it. That, that That's it. But if you're already eating ice cream, if you're already that's eating ice cream, not, not a big concern. You know. Right. All right, so where was it? We got distracted yeah. with the Miss Tamline competition, yeah, yeah. as I knew would happen. But I, I, I had to mention it. I love you. Because, like I said, she had tan lines one time. She looked fucking so great. I was like, he's like I said, he's trying, trying to get me to get lay out. I'm like, I'm not laying out this time. Trying to get her to sit on my face all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that anyway. I don't need tan lines to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, Miss Tanline. So <laughs> this, see, this is what happens. 
this is what happened. Yeah. But I was just thinking, I was listening to some last podcast on the left earlier. I'm like, they kind of do that too, though. Like, they talk about all this true crime and stuff like that, but then they go off on these big, long tangents. And it's, like, super funny. No, they No, they've been around, like, forever. It's a natural thing to do. I think maybe yeah. people thought we were copying them, but I didn't no. even actually start listening to them. Until when you do later. a show like this, that naturally is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, and especially, especially if you're doing something... Especially you're drinking. Yeah, especially if you're drinking, and especially yeah. if you're live streaming and you have, yeah. like, other people interacting. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I have notes and stuff like that that I'm referring to over here, but, you know... And I never know what he's going to say because he doesn't usually know all the details of these, and yeah. I do. So... Yeah. So I don't know how he's going to react to like this shit that I say. Yeah. So that's kind of what makes it fun. So at this point, okay, so Mark Kilroy at this stage had only just turned 21. So they're all going, him and his three friends, they're all going on this big adventure, like down for spring break or everything like that. So they're just like, you know, hanging out on the beach, drinking, flirting with ladies, whatever. So March 13th, the night of March 13th, 1989. So this was kind of when spring break started like for real like they had like fifteen thousand people like kind of flood into the area in Montemoros because it's a big that's a like i said it's right over the border like you can literally walk to it from brownsville texas like just right across the bridge so people are just kind of flooding into the town there's all kind of bars it's a whole real touristy area um you know and i don't know what it's like now but that's what it was like back then so mark and his so it was super crowded like all the bars were crowded the streets were crowded everything so Mark and his buddies, um, they're bar hopping all night, going from one to the other. Now, around 2 in the morning, one of the friends says, you know, let's go back to South Padre Island in Texas, where they were before. So they come out of one pub, the London pub is what it's called. They came out of there. And they see Mark kind of leaning against a car, and he's talking to one of the women that was in the Miss Tanline competition, because he was, like, trying to pick her up or whatever. And... So at this point, like I said, the streets were really crowded. People are coming out of the bars because they're closing and stuff like that. So it's really packed and they're having a hard time. The four of them are having a hard time like staying together. You know what I mean? Like staying in a group. So at one point, two of the friends kind of separated from the group and they went over to this kind of like restaurant store kind of situation called Garcia's um, that is real close to the border. Now, Mark um, is kind of like stops on these steps of this house on the street to say goodbye to the Miss Tanline lady. And then he was waiting for the other friend to come toward him. Now the other friend comes toward him, but then he's like, man, I got to pee. So he goes into an alley to pee and Mark said, okay, well I'll wait out here for you. But by the time that that friend who was Huddleston came out and found the other two guys who were in front of Garcia's Mark was gone. Now, the three friends started looking for him, and they looked for him, like, pretty much all night. Um, and then they were like, well, maybe he just went back to Brownsville, because that's where their cars were. They had parked them, like, over in Texas and had walked over the bridge. So it's like, well, maybe he just, you know, he, maybe he just went back. So let's go over there and check. So they crossed the border back into Brownsville uh, to see if he was by the car. But he wasn't there. So... They hung around for a little bit, and then they're like, okay, well, we're going to go back to South Padre Island, where they had kind of started out from. And then it's like, well, maybe he picked somebody up and left the hotel with somebody. Like, maybe he met a girl or something. So they're like, okay, we're not going to worry about it too much. So they, you know, they were kind of drunk and hungover or whatever. And so they fell asleep. Now, when they woke up at the hotel the next morning, uh, Mark was obviously uh, still not there, and they could not contact him. This was 1989, so there were no cell phones or anything like that, obviously. So at that point, um, they called the cops and reported him missing. 
Now, the investigation at first, no one was super alarmed because, you know, they just kind of started it out as like a regular missing persons investigation because it's like this, this is a big spring break touristy area. There's a lot of very young people uh, drinking a great deal. And uh, a lot of times, most of the time, I would hazard to say, uh, the people would turn up a day or two later so hungover that they didn't even know what had fucking happened. Like, they had no memory of what had happened. Like, most of them turned up fine, is is what I'm getting at. Um, and it, as a matter of fact, Mark was actually one of 60 people who had disappeared from Matamoros only in the first three months of 1989. So you can see why they weren't super alarmed at first. They said most of these people are just drunk and they're wandering off and they just didn't remember what happened and they just kind of came to someplace else and were like how the fuck did i get here and like eventually made their way home and everything was fine so they didn't really think anything about it but because mark kilroy was kind of slightly connected like he had an uncle that worked in the u.s Customs service in la um and when his uncle found out about it, like, he raised a big stink. He's like, we really need to, like, figure out where this kid went because he wouldn't just, like, wander off like that. So they did put a task force together in Brownsville, Texas, to look for him. And there were also kind of threats of, look, you know, you guys, like, Matamoros is very known for, like, American tourism and stuff. And it's like, if this gets around that, like, people are being snatched off the street or whatever, then, you know, your tourism trade might go down and blah, blah, blah. So they also tried to, it seemed like um, the local police were trying to maybe say, oh, well, he must have gone back to Brownsville and disappeared there. Like, so they were trying to, like, make it not their problem. You know what I mean? But his friends were like, no, he absolutely disappeared on this side of the border. Now, it seems that from the early days, like, when Mark didn't turn up, they thought maybe that, you know, he had been essentially probably kidnapped and murdered and that maybe his disappearance was drug related or was maybe um like a robbery gone wrong type of thing but they didn't really have any leads to go on now when they were trying to you know kind of find some clues and stuff they did actually bring in a hypnotist to hypnotize the three friends to see if they could remember anything that would help them. Now, one of the friends, Moore, he said under hypnosis that he remembered that he had seen a Hispanic man, like a young guy, who was wearing a blue plaid shirt and had a scar on his face and that he had talked to Mark before Mark's disappearance. He said that the man walked up to Mark and said, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? But he said he didn't know if, like, Mark had answered him. But nobody's entirely sure if that's exactly what happened or if that was just suggested through hypnosis. Because the friends, they didn't really know where or when exactly he had disappeared. Like I said, because the two other guys had gone off to this other kind of restaurant and were hanging out over there. And this other friend had, like, gone in an alley to pee or something like that. And he'd been talking to some chick and it's just kind of like, I came back out of the alley and he was gone. You know what I mean? So they didn't really know, like, which direction he'd gone. So they were like, well, maybe, you know, the authorities are like, well, maybe he was kidnapped. You know, like I said, maybe he got robbed and they killed him and they just dumped him somewhere. Or maybe he was kidnapped for ransom. Although they said probably not because, you know, nobody came forward and like asked for any money or anything like that. So they started doing like a search. They had helicopters and all this other kind of stuff. They were like, you know, trawling the river and all this other kind of stuff. They didn't find anything. 
So a little while later, like probably about two weeks after he disappeared, um, they profiled the case on America's Most Wanted, which kind of make, made it like blow up like across the U.S. Like everybody saw that shit. Everybody was talking about it. Um, and, you know, a lot of people like phoned in with leads and stuff, but none of them really went anywhere. Now, it so happened, the big break in the case, how they found out not only what happened to Mark Kilroy, but also exposed the entire Matamoros cult, who had been operating kind of under the radar up until this point. This is what happened. So there were some Mexican federales, and they were watching like a checkpoint, like a drug checkpoint. They, you know, people were smuggling or whatever, and they were all at a checkpoint. And this car ran through the checkpoint with a roadblock like without stopping just breeze right through it like it like it wasn't no thing and the the car was coming from texas and then like went into mexico and the cops were like huh that's something so they actually had the presence of mind to be like you know what we're not going to chase that dude like we're not going to turn the sirens on and alert him or anything we're just going to follow him and see where he goes, because what is this all about? He just ran through the roadblock like he's just like, whatever, you know what I mean? They thought that was kind of weird. So they're like, okay, we're going to follow him. So they followed it in an unmarked vehicle. Now, this vehicle went out to the Santa Elena Ranch, which, if you'll recall, is where the Matamoros cult, that's where they were killing people. So he w it went out there. So the cops followed him. They saw him go in there, and then they were like, okay, we're just going to pull off. We're going to see what happened. So they're just watching now, the car is there for about half an hour, and then the driver, like, leaves the ranch and goes back to the city. And then they're like, okay, well, we're going to go and search the ranch. Because evidently, at, I don't know about now, but evidently at this time in Mexico, you, you know, you didn't need a search warrant. You could just be like, eh, we suspect some shit's going on there, so we're just going to bust in. So they did. So they went in the ranch and started looking around. Now, while they were looking around, they found... Uh, some traces of marijuana and also found some uh, cult paraphernalia, candles and that kind of shit. Now, eventually, they found out that the person who had been driving the truck, the vehicle that had gone through the checkpoint, was none other than Seraphine Hernandez Garcia, who they called Little Seraphine, I believe is what, because he was like kind of a little dude. Now, he was, again, a member of the big, you know, drug cartel uh, Hernandez family. And that's where their operations were. Now, the cops, when they found out who he was, they knew about the Hernandez family, who, like I said, were not a huge drug cartel family, but they were kind of mid-level. He's like, we're just going to chill out, and we're just going to, like, see how this plays out. So they decided to, like, watch him and also kind of, like, ask some other informants about what was going on out at that ranch. You know what I mean? So they did that for a little while, and then... A little while later, like on the 9th of April, they came back with a bunch of cops and arrested him, uh, Little Seraphine, as well as his uncle, Elio, who was the head of the Hernandez cartel thing, and a couple of other cult members, like three other cult members, and the um, caretaker of the ranch. Now, it turned out that the person who had driven through the roadblock, like I said, was Seraphine. And the reason that he had driven through the roadblock, they discovered later, was because he thought that Adolfo Constanzo's magic was so powerful that the cops could not see him. That's oh, why. Okay. He, yeah, yeah. That's why he drove through the roadblock. Yeah. They can't see me. Wee. And they're like, 
Native Americans thought that, huh. that, they, could, that they could become invisible. We can totally see to you, bro. Sorry, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, to, from his it's point a of view, thing. You're just from his point of view, I mean, it seemed like they did because they did follow him, but they didn't like come after him with like guns blazing or like sirens blaring or anything like that. They just kind of followed him at a distance because they wanted to see what he was up to. But he thought that they couldn't see him. Um, and apparently, when they eventually arrested him, he was super shocked that they had actually been able to see him, which I thought was kind of funny. Because, like I said, the um, the thing that docu that uh, that Zana does at me, it had footage, like police footage of him, of uh, little Seraphine, at the ranch, like telling them where all the bodies were buried and stuff. And he just seemed like. He seemed very young. I'm not really sure how young, but he seemed kind of like a kid. You know what I mean? The weird thing about it was that he also seemed like he didn't think he was going to get, like he didn't think he was in any trouble. <laughs> like he wasn't cocky or anything like that, but he was just like acting like everything was normal. Like he didn't think he was going to get in any trouble for any of this shit, which I thought was kind of bizarre. But yeah, so he was just, so he was like really shocked when they arrested him because just like, oh my God, I didn't think you guys could see me. And, um, but yeah, so they arrested some of the cult members along with him. And, um, again, they all seemed pretty chill. Like I said, I think they all thought they were protected by magic and like nothing bad was going to happen. It seemed like. So they questioned the caretaker at the ranch and they later determined, I don't think he knew anything about that. What was going on there. He was just kind of would come and go like to watch the property or whatever, but I don't think he knew he wasn't in the cult or anything. Now he told the cops though. That he's like, yeah, um, you know, they bring all these people here. They're like, there's all these people here um, from Seraphine's, like the Hernandez family. They come here and it's like sometimes they bring people here and those people don't leave. And then when they showed him a picture of Mark Kilroy, he's like, yeah, I saw him. And then he said he was over there. They took him over there to the shack. So then the cops go back and question little Seraphine. And he confessed just casual as you please um he's like yeah um there have been a bunch of people killed out here they're like the the documentary that xanada sent me that was like an interview with one of the brownsville cops that investigated the case he said we took the little dude out to the ranch and they have footage of this um and said because they were looking for mark kilroy right they didn't know at this point that there were a bunch of other bodies out there and so they were like okay well where's the body and he says to them which one like they, he said like it was nothing yeah right which yeah. one are you talking which one damn. he's like what do you mean which one there's a shit ton of them and he's like yeah there's a bunch of them damn it was yeah it was like that and, and the dude the cop that was on there was just flabbergasted like you could tell he's like just the casual way that he went around. It's like which one and then he just like I said I don't think the dude thought that he was going to get in any trouble I, I think was, was what it was he thought he was protected so he's like, yeah, there's all kind of there's all kind of people. There's a dude over there, and there's a dude over there, and there's a dude over there. <laughs> and um, he's like, yeah, it was um, Il Padrino, you know, Adolfo Costanza. That's what they called him, the Godfather. And he's like, yeah, he killed all kind of people out here. Um, you know, it, it's protection. They're sacrificing people like for protection for all the for all the drug cartels. And um, you know, and it, then he later told them, it's like, yeah, and he specifically asked us to find a gringo to sacrifice. And that's where Mark is buried over there. And then he told them. Now, some sources I read, some said that he just confessed willingly, like the cop on the documentary when they interviewed him. He said that he's like, I never, because he um, acknowledged 
that the Mexican police at that time, I don't know about nowadays, but at that time, they didn't have any, um, they didn't have any compunction about torturing people to get um, information out of them. What did they call it? Moral pressure. He said that's what they called it. Moral pressure. But it was torture. Um, but he said, according to him, he said they didn't have to torture little Seraphine. He just told him shit like whatever. But other sources I read said that he was tortured. So I don't know which hmm. thing is true. Regardless of which thing is true, Seraphine said this is what happened. He said, yeah, it was me and a few other members of the, you know, of the cult. And we went, we had been told to find a gringo. So we went down to Matamoros because we knew all the spring breakers were going to be there. So we were down there on, you know, overnight of 13th, 14th March. They said they saw Mark Kilroy. Um, some sources said that they had been following him and, you know, cause he's kind of a big blonde, you know, classic American looking dude, I guess. And that they had followed him around the bars and had heard him talking about being a med student. I find that hard to believe, but that could be the case. Um, so they saw him standing on the street, like near his buddies. And apparently one of the cult people like lured him close to one of their vehicles. Now, again, there's kind of different things. A couple different sources I read said that they may be because sometimes the cult members, they had police uniforms. So, so and badges and stuff so sometimes they would wear those and pretend to be cops right so and they had friends that were cops so sometimes a real cop would like be along with them when they were doing illegal shit so because they had friends that were cops so i don't know if that was the case here but some sources said that it was that they had police uniforms on like jackets that said you know polizia on the back or whatever and they had uh and everything so he might have thought so mark kilroy might have thought that they were cops so they got him to come up to the vehicle. Other sources said that maybe they just asked him if he wanted a ride or something like that. And he came over to talk to them. And at that point, um, little Seraphine and one other guy whose name was, um, they just called him like Ponce Torres. He, they grabbed him apparently and kind of got him inside the truck. Now there was a point where they kind of slowed down the truck and Mark apparently jumped out and like ran. But one of the cult members yelled freeze at him and he did i guess because he thought the dudes were cops or he was just used to doing what cops said or it was just i mean he was pretty drunk um so maybe he just did it automatically but regardless he did stop running and they there were actually two vehicles one behind the other one like you know one was backup in case something went wrong so the other vehicle they basically like muscled him inside the car uh, at gunpoint and then handcuffed him like kind of knocked him upside the head so he was kind of unconscious so put him in the back of the second car so they drove kind of all around the back streets and stuff and then they took him out to the ranch now they left him in the car overnight now right before sunrise the caretaker guy kind of felt bad for him and went out there to give him something to eat. Like he gave him some eggs and some water and stuff. Now they kind of kept him around the ranch for about 12 hours, but then Constanzo and his other cult members came to see him and were like, yeah, this is a good one. This is like a good one you got. So they wrapped his eyes up with duct tape and then they walked him. They had his hands like handcuffed behind his back and they walked him to the shack or the cabin or whatever and then they kept him in there all night um constanzo raping him uh multiple times 
Damn. And torturing him. Um, you know, cutting off body parts and whatnot. What they cut off of him? I'm not really sure, like, what it was. But that's that's what they always did. Um, So they did that, and then, for, like, 12 hours. And then they led him out to this field, and then Adolfo basically, like, I don't, he didn't decapitate him, because I saw a picture of the body when mm-hmm. they dug it up. His head was still attached, it looked like. But, um... They basically like chopped him on the back of the neck and killed him with like with a machete, and then they chopped the top of his head so they could tape take his brain out, and then they put the brain in the ingong in the inganga, um, and then they before they buried him they cut his legs off like at the knees, but later on like little Seraphine said well oh well that didn't have anything to do with the ritual we just did that so it'd be easier to bury him. But I don't know what they did with the legs. They probably put those in the pot, too, I'd imagine. Also, and remember how I said earlier, like, how a lot of the cult members that had killed people, they would have ne- they had necklaces that were made out of um, backbones? Yeah. So what they would do was they would take, like, a, a coat hanger that was all stretched out. They would, after the person was dead, they would put the coat hanger through the spinal column, and then they would leave an end of it sticking out of the grave... So that they would wait a while after the body was decomposed, they would come back and pull on it so they could get the, so they could get the shit out easier. That's the, that was the story. Yeah. And then you could make like a necklace out of it. And apparently, little Seraphine was like so jealous that like some of the other cult members had spine necklaces and he didn't have one. <laughs> and he was just like I said, he just admitted that like he's like, yeah, man, they were so cool. Like I didn't have one. That was a real bummer. And I'm just like, holy shit, this is so fucked up. But yeah, so, and as a matter of fact, when they took little Seraphine out there to show the cops where all the bodies were, they asked him, well, where's Mark Kilroy? And he said, right over there. It's like, that's where the wire is sticking out. And there was like a, because like I said, on the documentary I saw, they had the thing and it was like a little piece of, little piece of coat hanger, like sticking out of thing. So you can pull the spine out. They thought of everything. I'm just like, that is one of the most fucking messed up things I've ever heard. It's awful. It's awful. Um, so yeah. So they found his body. Uh, they also found a whole bunch of other ones. Um, 15 other ones, to be precise. Uh, as far as I know, they identified m- most of the people that they found buried out at the ranch, but I believe three of them are still unidentified. These are just people that they picked up and killed. Uh, so there was that. Now, uh... Yeah, so what they did was, like, the cops, after they found out that all these bodies were buried out there, they basically made the cult members that they had arrested, that they had captured, they took them all out there at gunpoint and, like, made them dig all the bodies up. Um, you know. So, there was that. So they found 15 bodies, all of which were mutilated. All of them were men. They had all been killed over a nine-month period. They were able to identify Mark Kilroy because of his dental records. They did find a jawbone. And um, like I said, most of the other people were identified, but three of them were not. As far as I know, those people have still not been identified. Um, Among the bodies, I believe, uh, was the victim that was killed after Kilroy. Now, I thought this was kind of interesting, too. In light of uh, Sarah Aldrete, you know, the kind of second in command. Now, she had been dating a dude before she got together with... Constanzo, who, by the way, picked her up by 
what the story I heard was that he essentially ran her car off the road or like was trying to make her pull over and she wouldn't. And then finally he like blocked her way. So she had to pull over. And then he very aggressively was like, you have to go out with me because I don't, I just wanted to talk to you and yada, yada. And like event, like, you know, most people, most, well, 99% of women in the world to be like, please fuck off. I'm calling the police because you're obviously deranged. But she kind of at first was reluctant, but was like, oh, okay, I guess you're all right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how'd that go? So, um, so yeah, but she had been dating a couple dudes just casually, like before she hooked up with Alfonso, right? Because she's just like a normal, you know, pretty girl. So she had like a couple different dudes going. One of those dudes was named Gilberto Sosa. Now, right around 1989, it seems, after Mark Kilroy was killed, Adolfo found out that Sarah was talking to Gilberto again, right? And he didn't like that shit, not one bit. Even though, like I said, he seemed more into, as far as being in love with um, his male lovers, of which he had two. One of which he called, a ma- like, you're my man, and the other one was you're my woman. I can't remember which one was which. But he had a whole thing, like he had a, like a trio thing going. Like a thruple with the two guys. But Sarah was in the mix too, and I'm not really, she seemed okay with it. I'm not really sure how that was going. But so he found out, though, that she had been talking to this ex-boyfriend of hers and he got mad about it. He's like, "Okay, well, he's going to be the next one. We're going to kill him next. Now, evidently, like after Mark Kilroy, evidently Sarah, not too upset about this, was just kind of like, "Okay, I guess that's how that shit goes. (laughs) All right. So she didn't I don't think she participated, but I think she was there. Like, I think she watched it happen. Um, And they did kind of a similar thing. They basically like tied him up. Uh, They. Adolfo cut off his toes first and he didn't put him in the pot though he kept him in his pocket like his souvenirs and then he raped the guy um you know tortured him tried to you know cut off various parts took some skin off shit like that and then he killed him and then this dude again which one the dude he's killing right now the dude that was sarah's ex-boyfriend from like along before she was in the cult okay he's a mexican yeah, American. everybody was a Mexican except, except for Mark Kilroy, as far as I'm aware. Motherfuckers dastardly, man. <laughs> That's the word. That's the word. Damn. Oh, and then after they killed Gilberto, um, they all went out for burgers and fries, which was apparently something that they did every single time they sacrificed somebody. That was like their little ritual. Hey, we're going to go out for burgers and fries. And they chill out. And we're going to Five Guys or whatever. Yeah, they, they go back to normalcy and shit. Yeah. Yeah, but that was their favorite thing. That was like their ritual after they would go get burgers and fries. One of the things that cracked me up was that one of the places, I don't remember, this was on one of the documentaries I watched, and it was just a, a detail that struck me as funny, was that Adolfo Constanzo, he would always meet people at this place called VIPs, which was, I guess he thought it was fancy because it was american owned or it was like an american style diner but the documentary person was like it's basically like a denny's but he thought it was like super classy so he would always like meet people there which i thought well, that was, one might have been a move up for what he which i always thought was very yeah. funny well it depends on where where this is happening that might have been the best thing in town maybe so yeah xana said wasn't kilroy the son of a state senator yeah. too i don't know if he was so i think like the main um connection that he had was that his uncle was in like a big a big up in the customs uh thing i think that's what it was so that's why they well and plus he was an american and he disappeared in mexico and 
you know so that's everybody like wanted and he's like you know kind of a golden boy type thing so that's always gonna that's always gonna like play well in the media which you know terrible to say which like i said that's kind of why whenever like a pretty blonde white woman gets kidnapped or murdered or something like that you're gonna hear way more about that than if the victim was a prostitute or a drug user or black or something i mean it's better than it was but that still happens that still happens so, so yes, yeah, so they go out for burgers and fries. Um, I think there was one more murder after that one, who was like a guy that they thought had like betrayed them. He might have been a cop, like a corrupt cop. I can't remember, but there was like another guy that they killed after that, after they killed Sarah's ex-boyfriend. So when the Mexican police raided the ranch, they other than all the bodies, which that's bad enough, but they also found 243 pounds of marijuana, 108, 108 grams of cocaine, uh, 12 firearms, including three submachine guns, and uh, 11 vehicles which had phones in them, which was a big deal for 1989, obviously. They also found the Nganga, the iron pot. Uh, inside of that, they found a brain, a human brain, which obviously was Mark Kilroy's brain. They also found a goat head, a bunch of chicken feet. Uh, there was a roasted turtle in there, some herbs, a horseshoe, and some coins, and a bunch of animal blood. I love that one of the things that I read said they found no signs of cannibalism. Like that makes shit better. They did all this kind of stuff. It's like, well, at least they didn't eat anybody. I'm like, okay. All right. Now, according to the guy uh, in the documentary, the one of the Brownsville investigators that was uh, interviewed in the, the thing that Xanada sent me, they said he, well, he said they found 23 bodies in the Matamoros area. But I wasn't clear if this included the 15 bodies found at the ranch, because the Santa Elena ranch, at least from my understanding, is about 20 miles outside of Matamoros. So I don't know if he was talking about those 15 bodies and then like an additional uh, eight, or if he's saying they found 23 additional bodies in Matamoros that they couldn't... It, that they think was related to the cult, but like not exactly. They also found a further 40 bodies around Mexico City that kind of had the hallmarks of the cult sacrifices. As I said, I don't think these were ever definitively linked to this particular cult, but it looked like the same deal. You know what I'm saying? So that's why they're saying, you know, there's 15, 16 that are confirmed but then there's all these other ones that they're pretty sure are the same people, but they can't really prove it. You know what I'm saying? Now, on the same day that they were exhuming all the bodies at Santa Elena, the ranch, Adolfo took the fuck off. And he, they later found out that he had gone to a Holiday Inn in Texas, in Brownsville, and then to McAllen, Texas, and then he came back to Mexico City. He had an apartment there. Now... It wasn't just him. He actually escaped with Sarah, Sarah Aldrete, and um, three more of his cult members. That'd be uh, Martin Rodriguez, Omar Orea Ochoa, and Alvaro de Leon Valdez, who's otherwise known as El Dubi. They all had nicknames, by the way. One of them was the cat. One of them was the butterfly. You know, they all had names. This one was called El Dubi. I don't know what the fuck that means, but that's what he was called. So I'm saying that the fact that as soon as they dug the bodies up at the ranch and he knew he was fucked, 
he got the fuck out of there. So I was like, well, obviously you don't believe that you're magically protected from the cops because otherwise you'd just sit there and be like, hey, they can't get me. I magicked the shit. So obviously he didn't really believe that because as soon as he heard about it, he's like, let's go. We're out of here. So he fucking took off. So they started, like, basically the U.S. and Mexican authorities, like, kind of, you know, got together and did, like, this whole big manhunt looking for the Costanzo and all the rest of the fucking people. So they did a bunch of raids. They did, they arrested a bunch of the cult members, all this other kind of stuff. But for a while, um, they couldn't find uh, those five. They couldn't find Costanzo and the four that had escaped to them. One thing they did, the Mexico City police, um, I think later there was some kind of... Um, uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say bad blood, but I think there were some kind of like little conflicts between like the Mexican and U.S. authorities because I think the Mexican authorities thought that the U.S. authorities had made it look like in the media that they had solved the shit when really it was kind of more the Mexican authorities that did that. Because in the interim, because for a long time, the cult had had connections in the Mexican police, like because a lot of them were corrupt. But by the time of the... You know, by the time of the Mark Kilroy murder, by the time they were caught, um, another guy had come in and he was getting rid of like all the corrupt cops. He was really cracking down on it. So that was another thing too. So it might've been just like a matter of time, but this, but the dude that came in, his name was Juan something. I can't remember what it was, but he was really cracking down on uh, corruption in the police force. And he knew that they were in with the cartels. And so he was really head up to like catch these people. So there was that too. So they started investigating. They're like, okay, well, there were all these other cult-style weird murders that took place in Mexico City, like, between 1987 and 1989. And like I said, they're pretty sure that that was the same people. So they're like, well, because these are occult practices, they started going through Mexico City, talking to informants, and they were talking to, like, people that knew about witchcraft and shit like that. They wanted to get into the witchcraft community and see what everybody knew. So by kind of talking to people there... They heard that Adolfo was probably hiding out in a place called uh, Quau. How does it? How do you pronounce it? I looked it up. Quautemoc, Quautemoc, Quautemoc. I think is how you pronounce it. I try to write it down because I listened to somebody talk to say it. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't get it wrong. Which was kind of like the outside of the city, right? And um, they're like, yeah. So there's this apartment building, and we heard rumors that he that he was there. So the cops send all of these officers out to kind of look around. Now, they go in a grocery store, and they found this dude that was in the grocery store and said, hey, I saw this really tall woman, because remember, Sarah Aldrate was, like, you know, pretty tall for a woman. She was, like, six foot one, six foot two, something like that. So it was, like, saw a woman that matched her description. And then while they were at, when the cops were at the supermarket, like, talking to this guy that had seen this really tall woman, they found this person who was buying a whole bunch of groceries with, like, a, with an American, like, a U.S. $100 bill. So they thought that was really suspicious. So they followed this guy. And it turned out that this guy was staying in an apartment um, right near there. And they said, this guy is one of the dudes, um, De Leon, I think, the, one of the guys that escaped with Constanza. And he was, uh, Constanza, and he was like buying groceries for him. That's what they thought. Um, also around this time, I'm not really sure if the Mexican authorities did this or if this was somebody else that did this. But one of the things they wanted to do to freak Constanza out was that when they had raided the, um, the ranch you know, uh, Santa Elena and they found his Nganga and they knew how superstitious like the cult members were. So they're like, we are going to burn his cauldron and we're going to put it on TV. So they hoped that he saw it 
to like to kind of freak him out like psychological warfare so i don't know if the cops did that or if somebody else did that but they did that like because i saw the footage of it and apparently he did see it and it did like freak him out so it worked so this so they figured out that they were all hiding out at this apartment so in early may of 1989 the cops surrounded the building and then you know traffic's going by so they kind of waited till the street was empty and then they tried to were going to raid the place but then this suspicious black vehicle pulls up in front of the complex and the cops are like, who the fuck is this? And they walked over to see who it was. And Adolfo, meanwhile, was in the apartment, was looking out the window and he saw the cops. So he opened fire at them. Um, thankfully, only one of the cops got just winged in the arm like he was fine. And I think like just one bystander got hit. But again, they survived. So nobody got killed in the well. You know, no, no, none of the good guys, I guess, got killed. But yeah, so he just like opened fire, and then as a distraction, he started like throwing money and shit like that out of the windows, like because people were coming by and like, ooh, money, you know what I mean? Um, so there was that. Now Adolfo eventually just kept shooting, and then he ran out of ammunition, and then he was just getting pissed off because I guess he knew he was caught. So this whole shootout went on for about forty-five minutes, and he was, I guess, didn't want to be taken alive. So he says to DeLeon, I want you to kill me and Rodriguez, who was kind of his main dude, like his main boyfriend, right? And DeLeon was like, man, I don't want to do that. You're the godfather. You know what I mean? I can't kill you. But he's like, no, you have to do it. Um, he's like, if you don't, I'm going to like fucking, you're going to be my slave in hell or something like that. Like I said, they, they believed all this stuff. So, apparently, so DeLeon, they put him and um, Rodriguez in, the, in, like, a closet little room or something, and he just shot him. So, Damn. both of them died. So, yeah, he, he told him to kill him. And he just opened fire, opened with a machine gun. So, the cops come in, and they get in the apartment, and at this point, Sarah runs out, screaming her head off, acting like she's been kidnapped, and, oh, my God, I'm free, and all this other kind of stuff, which, like I said... I kind of think all of that was bullshit, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, so, so they come in, they find, they arrested everybody that was left. Now, for a while, they weren't sure if Adolfo had maybe faked his death somehow, so they had to do like fingerprints and everything like that. But that actually was him, like two of the, the guys. He did actually die. Everybody else basically said that they were all innocent. Like, we didn't even do... And Sarah, in particular, was like, no, I was forced into this shit. I didn't even, like, know what they were doing. I was just starting with my initiation. Um, they were holding me prisoner and making me do this and blah de blah So everybody that was left in the apartment, other than the two dead guys, they all got brought into custody, including some other cultists that they tracked down later um, that were in the city, but they found them later on. Uh, they were living in another apartment building that con uh, the Constanzo owned now so yeah so they all got arrested and brought up on various charges um they ended up charging 14 people and most of them they got like murder was like obviously a big one but some of them were just like on drug running charges um you know obstructing justice things like that so the kind of three big ones like sarah aldrete elio hernandez who was kind of the head of the cult and little seraphine they got convicted of several murders each um, and got sentences of 67 years each, I believe. Um, De Leon, the one that had shot 
Constanzo and the and Rodriguez, he got thirty years. Now all of these people, um, if they are ever released in Mexico, if they ever come to the United States, then they will also be charged in the United States. So I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, because the thing about it was that in 1998, their sentence is not Sarah's sentence, but the other two guys, um, some of the other cult members, their sentences were reduced, but they were just reduced like to 50 years. So they're probably still going to die in prison. And like I said, if they ever get out and come to the U.S., then there's warrants out for them too. So they will get charged here also. Now, as I mentioned, Sarah came out uh, and talked to the press in 2003 and said that she had nothing to do with any of the killings. Um, that she was like, well, Constanzo is dead, and it's like, you can't possibly know what happened. Um, you know, and she thought, and some people maybe still think this, and there might be some truth to this, I'm not entirely sure, but some people believed that because of Constanzo's connection with, you know, kind of higher up uh, politicians and cops and stuff like that, um, that maybe, maybe they rubbed him out because her story is that he didn't have his lackey kill him. Her story was that the cops came in and killed him. Want to freshen that up? Yeah. Okay. And she argued that because he knew so much about so many powerful people that they maybe had him killed. That's her story. But like I said, I don't really know if that's true. She even wrote an autobiography, again, in the early 2000s. And she kind of told her side of the story, in which, of course, she made herself seem like um, blameless. She basically said that she was taken hostage by him, that she was afraid of him, um, you know, and that he made her do stuff, but that she didn't even really know that much about the killings and that she wasn't there when it happened and all this other kind of stuff. And then she also said that after she got arrested, that she was mistreated by the police, that she was raped and tortured and all this stuff, which, you know, that might not be untrue. I'm not entirely sure. But I'm saying that, like, a lot of stuff that she's saying was probably bullshit. Because according to everybody else, like, uh, even all the other cult members and stuff that they got to talk about it, that Sarah Aldrete was absolutely a willing participant. I don't think any of them said that she actually did any of the killings herself, but all the shit he's, she's saying about her being forced into it or you know, that she didn't know anything about it was bullshit because they said for some of the stuff, she didn't actually like swing the machete or anything, but they said some of them, she was absolutely there and that she seemed like just as into it as all of them were. So I don't know, you know, how that would go. But yeah, so she is, um, again, still in prison. They all still are. As far as I know, only two of the cult members that they're aware of are still at large. Um, Ovidio Hernandez um, and Ponce Torres, uh, they're still wanted for Mark Kilroy's murder, among many other charges. And as far as I know, those are the only two that are still at large. They think they caught everyone else. Even though some of the other cult members said, oh, there's lots of us out there, which may entirely be true. I'm not really sure. Because like I said, this isn't... Um, even though this is obviously very extreme, but there are a lot of people who practice this religion you know but uh, you know obviously all of them aren't going to do shit like this because this was way beyond the pale way beyond the pale so you know damn i mean wearing two spines, of them are still out there yeah they gotta be in as Mexico. far as i know gotta be on in, in Mexico i mean they might still. be dead by now well like i How said would they be by now 
you think? I think they were all fairly young when this was going on, but this was like the late 80s and they're probably all in their 20s. So... So they'd be in their 60s. Th yeah, they'd be older than us. They could us, still be alive. But they could still be alive. But like I said, considering the line of work that they were in, yeah, um, I'd be surprised if they were still alive, but it's possible. It's Mexico. Yeah. It's probably a lot easier to vanish in Mexico mm. than it is in the United States. It's not quite as electronic. Well, they are now. But these motherfuckers might be just in the underground. You know, I mean, They might not even have bank accounts. You know. Well, Hi. So I grabbed the kid's <laughs> tail and she goes, Where are you going? Where? You're going to come on the show. She's like, Come on the show, Pookie. <laughs> Look at Pookie. Yeah. We've only had Bam on the show a couple of times. Yeah, she was laying out here. She won't, She was there for a while, yeah. like sleep. But she was like, when you guys start talking to the lights, I'm just out here. Yeah. I'm going to go sit and look okay, out so the window. So what did the comments say? Anything? Um, I'm just, I'm looking at your... At oh, your, no, I was talking to SideQuest here. Yeah. That, that's my fucking veteran buddy. She's uh, yeah. an Intel veteran and uh, in, working in fucking supply and support and everything. And we're just talking about Army fucking business. She's my sister. I, I understand. We're, 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 we agree on a lot of shit. Fucking relationships don't fucking belong in the military situation we're talking about like the best roles for females in a military situation intel and supply yeah but like you go through history you're gonna find that the special forces of female is sex operative those girls are real heroes they're having sex with dudes that they don't even fucking like to get information to fucking save lives on their side Poor girls. I mean, better them than me. I could. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, those are the commandos. You have to be a good fucking actor. Yeah, got to be not, an actress. I'm not really good at that. An actress and a porn star and everything to fucking convince these assholes that you like them. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not to get information. That's all this James Bond shit's all bullshit. No, James Bond would be a female fucking. <laughs> well, because people Although don't suspect the, him as much. Evidently, in the books, I've read all the books, but evidently, fucking in the books. James Bond was partially a sex operative. I'm gonna have She's to look that up because that'd be really interesting. Well, uh, yeah, I, see if that if it would make sense. Yeah, I mean it would make sense. That's a that's because just like in the movie The Jackal, angle. just like in the movie The Jackal with fucking uh, with uh, Bruce Willis, he made a move on the gay guy to get his yeah. ID. Well, yeah, like I said, fucking, it would be yeah. useful, right? Any, any any kind of attack was fucking because your fair. whole job you're trying is, to get somewhere is getting information right yeah. and you got to do that whatever way you got to do that without getting your ass killed and if you got to yeah. go at it from a sexual angle then that's what you yeah. got to do because a lot of people aren't expecting yeah and jackal willis went in at a sexual angle i think he killed that guy though too you know he, he was a fucking psycho but he got his id yeah yeah i just saw what you said you can handle when your bro dies. When your lover dies, it's much worse. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there should... It's you got to keep the infantry of a fucking single-sex organization. And, you know, part of the reason why they didn't approve of homosexuality and homosexuals being in, in, in the infantry back when I was a day or even in the army, because they were afraid of relationships. You know what I mean? Everybody has to be equally expendable. Because some of the orders you have to issue will result in the deaths of other people. Well, what if your fucking boyfriend is in that group? You guys see what I mean? Be, you yeah. say, well, I'm not going to send that one. I'm going to send the other group. No, everybody has to be it's equally a, yeah, expendable. Yeah, it's more of a thing of like favoritism, yeah. I guess, more than or along those lines. You can't be any favoritism. It has to be stone-cold indifference. That's what actually works in the military. 
There isn't any of the human emotions that civilians have. There are too many lives extinct. You know? Somebody has to die. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, that's in the fucking infantry. And also armor. Armor was like that, too. And fucking eight, uh, combat aviation, similar. Yeah, and I, I feel like... I don't know if this is the case across the board. But I do kind of feel like men have a harder time dealing with the death of a loved one. Maybe. Than women do. Do you think that's the case? Maybe maybe just because men are not encouraged to like showcase their emotions or deal with their emotions. There's the some um, evolutionary psychology. Whenever you talk about that, you're gonna have all these people fucking jumping up and trying. Well, no, I'm just fucking, wondering like what you think. I think about that. fucking based on what I've seen, women have a tendency to attach themselves slowly to men, but they can detach quickly. In other words, it's hard to get a girlfriend, but she'll break up with you very quickly. So you're like, well, how did, how did that happen? Well, when you look at females, not only human females, but animal females, usually what ends up happening in a fucking, um, something like a lion pride or a wolf pack or mostly like a lion pride or even in a, a, even in a primate group, the females are the main characters in the group. The males kind of come and go. Some new males can chase the old males away and take... So you can't get too attached because that that one might not be around. Exactly. (laughs) So you have a situation with humans is is you're in a farming community. You have a man, maybe even a child by him. Some other men come, kick those dudes' asses, they kill your husband grab you they even kill the child because that's really what lions do they fucking yeah lions and do. even primates do that they kill all the children we're to bring starting the, over they're starting over and the women have a tendency towards uh stockholm syndrome where or just like survival where it's survival like, well, i better so. like they're gonna kill so like, you know I'll what along with this bullshit the old guy that was here was too weak to defend me he failed these other guys, these new guys, they're kind of hot. They came in, fucking kicked ass on these other dudes. You know, he's a winner. The other dudes were losers. This is the new guy. You know what? He's all right. He's, he's being nice to me, and he's protecting me, and this one will protect, so that shit will never happen again. That's, that's I think, was the female mindset, even outside of, hum- of humans. You know what I mean? Other species of the females are like that too. There's people think that there's a division between animals and humans. There isn't. Humans are animals. There's just other species. Yeah, we're not. All those other species, they act real similar to us. I mean, we have some so, different shit going on because of our yeah. brains, but it's not really as not different. that it's much not different. That different. So we are more complex. Women tend to like guys. Who are sexy? When they think sexy, they think he's competent. He's he's strong. He makes me feel safe. He can provide. He's bringing meat. He's being bringing monies. They tend to like that. That way, other dudes don't come and take your shit and disturb your life. But when that does happen, that's a stronger man. So he, that might be a better deal. 
And if you're back in these days, fucking in, in the you didn't fucking, really. It's not like you had a lot of options. You didn't have a lot of <laughs> options. But back in the caveman days, this was happening when you were still in your teens, and your man was maybe in his twenties or his thirties. They didn't live that long. So what that meant was is that everybody was kind of hot back then. <laughs> they weren't old fucking dudes fucking from a post-industrial civilization with fucking huge guts and shit. You know, these were all uh, people in their fucking animal form, you know, kind of, uh, they were physically fit. All of them were. You couldn't be physically unfit. Although they did have old people, and they took care of old people. That yeah. was already bad. They weren't that big of assholes. No. They were just kind of like, eh, die, old dude. Yeah, no. They like took, in they, Midsommar. Yeah. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> Jump and, off a cliff. They've been found, they found uh, Neanderthals, who are not human, but related to us, that were old. They didn't have any teeth or anything, and they lived a long time. Which yeah, people, people took care of them. taking care of them. Yeah. Because you so, took care of your parents. Right. I mean, and, and you're, yeah. And, and old people had something... Well, that's kind of yeah. why. I mean, some animals do that too. Yeah. We'll take care of a, um, you know, a member of the group that is not able yeah. to. Like elephants will do that and stuff like that. So it's not just a human thing, but that's kind of yeah how they know. Like this is when humans like got their humanity when they started taking care of people when they, when yeah. they started doing things that they knew wouldn't reward them necessarily. We're yeah. taking care of a person because that's a person. Well, they're saying they didn't reward them, but it probably did. Because you have to look at the situation. They were illiterate. They didn't have books. But you had old people. And old people had memories. They could tell you things. They could tell you stories. You know what I mean? Well, and they, they knew shit. They knew shit from the past. So they were kind of... Old people were your... Uh, A resource. Your resource to tell you what, what you should do. And so they were probably doing... But they things. still had... I mean, I imagine... They had a connection with Yeah, them. they still had a connection with yeah, them. Because yeah. that's like your parent or yeah. your, you know, mm-hmm. your husband or whatever. It's like they felt... Your grandfather. Emotions like yeah. we feel. Yeah. Like you love that person. Right. So it's just kind of like... So that's right. another reason to like take care of them. Like keep them alive as long as possible. Erica Lynn said, I agree, Jenny. I think women expect the husband to die first. Women usually live longer. But maybe men lose themselves when they lose the mate first. Yeah. I had noticed that. Like I said, I don't think it's true across the board because everybody's different. But I had noticed that women, I mean, obviously, they grieve and they feel horrible like when their mate dies or something like that. But I think they spring back from it quicker. But that's just a generalization. SideQuest is, uh, she's a female veteran, is fucking saying some shit. What'd she say? I couldn't read it all. She's given her, Yeah, humans her... are just more self-aware, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a scientist who said the first sign of civilization is a healed bone. Yeah. Yeah, because somebody had, had to take, care, to of somebody to take care of that person. Right, yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good marker. Yeah. Because, like I said, that's not... I mean, yes, it benefits the community as a whole because it's like if that person is a hunter, you know, for example, and they broke their leg and now they can't hunt. Well, it's like obviously if we take care of that person, they'll get better quicker and then they can get back out and help us. Yeah. You know what I mean? All those proto-humans, I'm not sure Australopithecus, but they were probably okay. But Homo erectus, fucking uh, Homo habilis, Neanderthal, all those, they were humans. They just weren't as advanced as us um because all you gotta do is look at animals cats and shit they do a lot of things that are human-like well our cats definitely do they're just not quite as good at it they their memories aren't quite as good and so but they're just i i consider very childlike yeah i just consider them kind of like human children because they come across like our cats come across just kind of like a toddler or maybe like a little bit older than a toddler a little bit older 
they have empathy. They they know, but they can't really stick to anything because their their memories and their consciousness. Yeah. But you know, I'm but, sure even Homo erectus, they probably had human behaviors and human responses to things. They could stick to it a little bit more. Yeah, they're like, oh, no, 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 his arm is hurt. Let him heal, let his arm heal up. He'll be okay. You know, so they were probably at that level. Yeah, because like yeah. I said, even nowadays, like domesticated animals, dogs, cats, stuff like that, can obviously feel empathy for humans they have yeah. some kind of human emotions our cats um they can deceive yeah um they yeah. know what you're feeling like they yeah. know if somebody's upset or something like that they seem to like respond to that i've seen a video of a girl pretending that she was crying her dog was concerned yeah beside her beside and a lot herself. of people yeah so you know so yeah they have empathy they know when something's wrong and they try to help you yeah yeah so so I don't think it's that crazy that like, you know, yeah. we're not, yeah, you know, our brains are more complicated or whatever, but I don't think there's like as huge of a difference. But that said, getting back a little bit to, because this is interesting because next week's show is going to be on Valentine's Day. And traditionally, we had always done like a killer couples show on Valentine's Day. I know it's fucked up, but you know, you know how I do. Um, but I have the poll that'll be up on Friday. And I have a couple killer couple kind of shows in there, but I also have some other Valentine romance adjacent kind of stuff like Kurt and Courtney, you know, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. I think I have that in there. Like stuff like that. Stuff that I thought was like appropriate for like a Valentine's Day show, but coming at it from a fucked up perspective like I do. However, I kind of feel like a little bit this situation, um, Adolfo Constanzo, this is a little bit of a killer couple situation. I'm not saying that he wouldn't have done the shit without her because he absolutely would have. But I'm always kind of curious about that dynamic. And I'm curious how involved she was in all of this shit. Like, did she watch the shit happen? Was she into it? Um, And it fascinates me that by all accounts, you know, Sarah Aldrete was a normal person seemingly this is why i don't trust normal people but yeah she i mean she was a college student she was straight a's she you know she was a cheerleader all this other kind of stuff like everything you'd think of is just kind of like all american kind of thing i mean she was mexican but she went to school and college in in the united states but it kind of fascinates me that somebody like that could have this dark side of them that was probably like the darkest side that you could ever actually have hey on this side of the border i'm a straight a student and a cheerleader and like everybody loves me but then on this other side of the border i'm involved with the drug cartel who is by the way also tearing out people's spines and wearing them as necklaces i mean that (laughs) seems a little crazy and i'm like i said i'm kind of fascinated more i'm fascinated by male serial killers also like by their pathology and stuff but i'm kind of really interested in couple serial killers which this kind of qualifies you know what i mean kind of yeah. even though like i said I th- he would have done the shit without her but i think it's kind of like interesting the dynamic i'm in- i'm interested in how women get sucked into this because it's not common there are female serial killers obviously you know you got alien Morris, you got bell gunness like people like that there are women that are fucked up but it's not common and i'm always kind of interested in how that dynamic occurs and I think that, particularly in this case, because she seemed so normal, 
to most people, and they didn't know anything about this other life she was living. The weirdest thing about the, the couple serial killers is that the victims who have survived said that the woman was worse than the man. That's another Yeah, which thing is always, like, that's fascinating to me. Whoa. And I said, I wonder if that's because, I wonder if that's, and maybe I'm talking out, out my ass. I'm not a psychiatrist or anything like that. But I always kind of wonder if that's maybe a product of women being more likely to be people pleasers. Trying to make him happy. Right. So I kind of feel like they get involved with this dude and yeah. they love him and it's this whole, a little bit of a Stockholm Syndrome kind of situation yeah. maybe. And the more she's, the longer she's with him, the more normalized the shit becomes. And there comes a point where she's just trying to make him happy. So she's trying to do more fucked up shit than he's doing to impress him. To impress him. And then, and also, I think that might be what's going on. And then maybe to secure her safety. That too. too. Like, look, I'm crazier than you are. Don't kill me. Right. It might be that too. It might be that. Because I'm sure, because there has to be. At some level, that woman has to know this dude could snap at any moment and yeah. do the same shit to me. I mean, they have to know that, even if not consciously. So maybe that's why they're doing that. Because it's like, look, I'm your, I'm your partner in crime. I'm yeah. crazier than you are. Yeah. I'm also doing all of this stuff and worse. And it's kind of like a, kind of like a, uh, a kind of an overwhelming feeling. What, what, what's the, what's the word? Uh, like, like an overload. Of emotions, right? Negative and positive emotions: fear, dread, hatred, love. Everything all happening at once. Yeah, they must be like extremely overstimulated. Oh, I'm sure. Must have kind of a euphoric quality to it, maybe for a while. I would think that would wear off. Everything kind of does. That's the thing. It's like I kind of. I mean, my, like I said, I'm not a psychiatrist. My only experience is actually being a woman and knowing what our mindsets are. Um, I don't understand. Like, I've never understood, like, women that write to serial killers and, like, f- or, like fangirling over serial killers because that's yeah. fucked up. I'm fascinated by them, but I'm not attracted to them. I think they're vile. But I think the reason I'm fascinated by them is because they're vile and because they're thought processes are so different than mine that's what i find fascinating i don't find them alluring in that way yeah but some women do so i can kind of see where that switch might happen even though i don't have that personally but i intellectually i can kind of see how it could happen like remember when we did the show and this was a while back like when on one of our killer couple we did a killer couple show for valentine's day and it was British couples. So we talked about um, Brady and Hindley, who I've always been fascinated with. I've read like a ton of books about them because that's always interested me. He was obviously a psycho and he would have done shit without her, with or without her. But the thing about Myra Hindley was that she seemed, again, perfectly normal. And had she not met him... That shit wouldn't have happened. I don't think... No. I don't think she would have she she would have just had a normal unremarkable life. Myra was just kind of a fucking solid 5 or a 6. I would call her a 6. She was very very average but kind of attractive on the average level and for some reason that dude really tickled her fancy and he had a lot of control over. Her. Had that been another guy who was decent, she wouldn't have fucking she wouldn't have gone down that path. 
No, not at all. I no. think she would just had a regular. She just got yeah. married and had kids and just Something been a regular about her person. Fucking emotional dependency and her yeah. need for love from this and that, dude. Like, and this ended dude up in the worst somehow way. fucking impressed her. He's torturing little girls and she's getting into it. And she's like watching it. Ah, man. I can't imagine. Yeah. Unless maybe if I'd seen a video of it, maybe when you're there, it doesn't quite seem the way it sounds, but I can't imagine that either. Um, Like I said, there's something to be said for, and this is kind of how a lot of cults work too, like coming back to the whole cult thing. Um, Because we've done a lot of shows about that. And the, you know, the story goes, most people that research cults are like pretty much anybody can get sucked into one. And I believe that. Um, Especially if they come at you from a way that doesn't seem particularly culty. And that's how a lot of them come at you because they know if they start out with the heavy shit that everybody's going to be like, yeah, no thanks. You know what I mean? They're going to walk off. So they kind of come in at you kind of subtle. You know what I mean? And I get that. So I kind of feel like most people, given the right circumstances and given they were approached in the right way, could absolutely be convinced into a cult. And then by the time you get in there, once you've passed a certain line, it's hard to get out psychologically. Even though it's easy for us on the outside to be like, oh, holy shit, when this X th- like horrible thing happened... Why didn't you just fucking run? But by that point, they're already kind of brainwashed. Yeah. Because they've built up to that. Like, to us, we're just hearing about it from the outside, and we didn't experience this whole buildup. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, by the time they got to, like, hey, we were, like, cutting off people's ears, everyone was just kind of, like, okay with it because they had built up to that. You know what I mean? And they believed... In this case, it's this is kind of not a traditional cult because they already believed all of this occult stuff. So it wasn't, in a way, it was a little bit of a buildup because they're just kind of like, well, we were doing all these animal sacrifices and robbing graves and shit like that. But hey, wouldn't it be like a lot more powerful if we actually like killed a person? And every, by that time, everybody had been in it was like, well, hey, that sounds like a good idea. You know what I mean? And they all kind of get, and he kind of slowly acclimated them to that, right? So I kind of, and that's kind of the scary thing. This is kind of what fascinates me about cults and about this kind of stuff. And about, again, like the dynamic between serial killer couples is that given enough of a buildup, you can probably convince most people to do pretty much anything. I don't know. Maybe. Depends on their level of development. <laughs> I've seen all this shit before. I know how it goes. You know, or I've at least seen it on paper. I just so, wonder. It's, I'm fascinated wait, oh, because okay, it's like, I, I wonder is. if... Because I always kind of wonder, like nowadays, no, nobody's going to suck me into anything because I'm just kind of like, nope, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything that I have to get involved with other people. So just don't talk to me. But I kind of wonder when I was younger, would I have been sucked into, had they come at me at the right way or had, or had like some dude come at me in the right way and just like built up into it where it just kind of like got to a point where I was so brainwashed I couldn't get out. And I kind of wonder if that, you know, because I was kind of like a people pleaser, you know, a lot of women are. So I kind of wondered if that would have happened to me had I been approached at the right time. So I think that's what kind of fascinates me about it. And that's what kind of fascinates me about these kind of like couple situations where women get involved in this shit and 
do horrible I, like i said i don't think in this case i don't think none of the um cult members that confessed anything i don't think any of them said that she did anything like she didn't cut anyone's head off or anything like that with a machete but she was there for some of the stuff and was apparently fine with it so she watched some of it i don't think she did any of it but there have been cases where the women did the shit and like you said sometimes the women were worse than the men yeah so i don't know that's just a dynamic that kind of fascinates me okay well uh, i guess we got it finished up is there uh Anything we want, need to talk about there? I just wanted to mention again, because I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show, yeah. that we have a new patron named yeah. Kelly G. So I wanted to say thank you very much, Kelly G, if thank you're listening. Much, Kelly. Um, not sure if you're listening right now. If you're going to be listening later, I'm sure she probably will be. But thank you very much for becoming a patron. Yeah. And all of y'all can become a patron if you want. I mean, most of y'all are probably yeah. already. Or, you know, give us super chat. So that's fine. Um, like I said, you know, basically you get to vote on whatever the topics are. And you get to find out what the topics are before anybody else and blah, blah, blah. So there's all that. It's kind of like fun uh, perks. So Danny says, uh, as Tom says, shut it the fuck down, Jenny. Yeah, it is getting kind of late. But this was a fun show, even though it was a fucked up topic. Uh, So thank you very much for recommending it. uh, Because, yeah, this was pretty messed up, wasn't it? Yeah. It was pretty messed up. Yeah. Tom said it was messed up. What's up? What's up? Oh, okay. Shutting it down. Okay. So we're going to shut it down for this evening. Thank you very much for dropping by and hanging out with us. Thank you very much for your super chats. Uh, remember, like, share, all of that kind of stuff. And we will be back on Friday night for our sidetrack show, which is always fun. We're going to get drunk and talk about bullshit, uh, which is always enjoyable. So hopefully you can join, join us for that. And we will see you guys again on Friday night. Good 